3: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Kara and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman is out today, and Katie Wu of The Athletic has been kind enough to come in and sit in for the next three hours. Katie and I have actually I've talked about this heck, since you got to St. Louis. You love radio, right? Good to have you with us. Good morning.
0: Thanks, Randy. Good morning. It's always good to be here. I was telling uh, your producer, Matthew, it feels like a Monday, but I I guess it's not. Um, But either way, uh, for me, it's nice to be starting the week with you.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. And by the way, you had a day off yesterday, the rare day off, and then Randy gets you to wake up early rather than sleep in as as you bounce back from the day off and a busy weekend at home.
0: Yes, it was great to be back at home in San Francisco, always. I joke, it's my favorite road trip of the year, even (laughs) though I stay with my parents and grandparents most of the time. Um, just, Just a fantastic weekend. I really do love going back to that ballpark. It means a lot to me. It's very sentimental. Very rarely do I get sentimental over sports these days, but just to sit in the ballpark that I grew up in and, you know, went to games with my family, went to games with my dad and friends, and just kind of watched baseball and then figured out you know this is what I want to do with my life it always means a little a little more to me so that was great to go back
3: and the Cardinals will play the Orioles tonight this is a stretch of 10 games in a row against teams that are wearing black and orange by oh, the
0: way I love I love stats like that Yes. Yeah. where they got to get the Tigers in next right continue that streak
3: yeah well with the they, they're kind of navy but they got some orange going but the, I think they play the Mets again after the Giants right they do they go up to New York? They do. So May you've 16th got orange. through May 19th.
0: There yeah. we go.
3: Yeah, so we'll we'll have orange for what? 13 games in a row. I love it. I
0: love baseball and all its quirkiness. <laughs>
3: Tonight Adam Wainwright is scheduled to pitch for the Cardinals. No guarantees because he needs to test negative 2 days in a in a row, but if he doesn't go, what do you think happens?
0: I think the Cardinals will probably start Miles Michaelis. I mean, with the off day yesterday, he's pitching on regular rest. Obviously, they would like Adam Wainwright in any capacity, but Miles Michaelis certainly has been just as effective. He's had he had a great April. Wasn't. Too happy with his start last, his last start against the Giants, but was still very effective, still very solid, gave them a chance to win, which they did. So I know that Ollie Marmel was planning two parallel tracks. Whether or not Adam was coming back today, we'll find out um, sooner rather than later. And uh, either way, Cardinals should be in good shape with whatever arm they decide to put out tonight.
3: Katie, don't look now, but the Reds are three and one in their last four, and they beat Milwaukee last
0: night. I believe they call that a winning streak, Randy.
3: They do. Yeah, for them, that's that's quite a stretch. It is. They're within 17 to 500 now, the Reds are. They beat the Brewers by a score of 10 to 5, so the Cardinals will start tonight's action two games out. Here we are sitting on May 10th. If you would have told me that on May 10th, the Cardinals still would not have seen Jack Flaherty and the offense offensive numbers would be what they are. If you would have told me all of that would happen and the Cardinals would be within two games of first place, I would have taken it.
0: No, oh, I, I think nearly every Cardinal would. I mean, certainly you'd like to see what this team would look like with a healthy Jack Flaherty, but he did throw his first bullpen session in San Francisco, which I told him and reminded him, this is where you threw your first bullpen the last time you were injured. So it's very, uh, you know, deja vu-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think the Cardinals have, have demonstrated that they are a very encouraging team. Um, they are definitely a playoff team, especially with the, the expanded playoff format. But I think you know overall health will really matter here. I think the starting rotation has really stepped up, but most importantly, I think the bullpen has really stepped yeah. up. And I'm sure we'll get into it over the course of the show. But man, and some of those arms, Ryan Helsley lights out. I think one of the best relievers in baseball currently. Certainly had one of the best months we've seen. Um, And and the way that Ollie Marmel has used the bullpen, I think, is very interesting as well. So these Cardinals, you know, They'll stick around all season, and I'm sure, you know, they'd like to avoid maybe having to win 17 games in a row yeah. in September again. Um, but you, I, I know it's early, um, but when we get to May, I kind of like to take an evaluation of the, the division. Here's my evaluation. It's not great. It's not very competitive, <laughs> right? Uh, but I do expect the Cardinals and the Brewers to be going toe-to-toe in September, and it should make for exciting baseball.
3: Yeah, the key in this division, especially because Atlanta's going to get better, Philly's going to get better, the teams in the East, the top teams, Mets, Phillies. Braves. Teams in the West, Padres, who are off to a surprisingly good start without Tatis, Padres, Giants, Dodgers, they're all going to beat each other up. So the key for the Cardinals and the Brewers is just going to beat up the Cubs. Reds and Pirates, right?
0: Oh, absolutely, and I think that's a huge benefit. If you can go 500 at the minimum against those three teams, I mean, you're already putting yourself in a great mm-hmm. spot when it's when you're talking about overall wins and losses. I think if you take, if you're the Cardinals, and you look at the Cubs and the Pirates and the Reds, and you say we have to win every series, I think you're in a 100% great spot come September 1st, and you know, Cardinals and the Brewers have the same equal opportunity. I think it's really important for both teams to take advantage of the division and, and see where they can go from there.
3: Yep. That's Katie Wu. I'm Randy character. Meanwhile, the Blues are in action tonight. Game five against the Wild. We'll have the pregame for you with Alex Ferrario at 7.30 and then the face-off, Curbs and Joey at 8.30 from the XL Energy Center. The Blues with a big game four win. What were the biggest takeaways for head coach Craig Berube?
4: I liked our start to the game. I thought we had a real good first period. Like, you know, we only got the one goal, but just the, the mindset. I think that uh, you know, we were, we we're doing a good job of um, on our forward check and getting shots to the net and getting to the net and then uh, power play. Like I said, it didn't capitalize but it really created a lot of momentum for us.
3: And of course the Blues got really good work out of the line of Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron and Braden Shen added on left wing against the big Erickson Eck line of Minnesota, that grief line. What did coach think about that matchup?
4: Well, I said that line did a great job against those guys. It's a battle. You gotta just battle, and you got—you're not gonna get a lot of looks offensively. You just gotta stay with it, and it's important not to, um, you know, get frustrated by it or, you know, try to make something that's not there at the time because then you make mistakes, and you just gotta battle through it. And you gotta—it's just—it's kind of like even hockey out there, you know. And then you wait for an opportunity, like in you know the Peron's goal in the second period. But you got to stay patient, but you got to battle because it's a heavy line. They're going to compete hard, and uh, I thought that line did a good job.
3: And the Blues will have that line in action again tonight against the Erickson Eck line. The Blues flying literally right now to Minnesota for the game, and we should we should find out tonight by game time whether or not we're going to see Nick Letty and Robert Bortuzzo, but apparently they're on the plane and they are ready to at least give it a shot tonight against the Wild, and we'll again have the action for you at 8.30, pregame at 7.30 here on 101 ESPN. Meanwhile, last night in the NBA...
2: Jason Tatum is one of the best players in the NBA. Tatum drives down and throws it down! Wow! And he reps his city. What do you got in the Super Bowl tonight? Uh, The St. Louis Rams. Oh, St. Louis Rams. It's time for the Jason Tatum minute on Carricker and Smallman. Boston's lead is seven. Tatum, he's been great. Had a huge second half. Oh, Tatum! Wow, somehow able to score it. Smart draws his fifth charge. Key possession. Tatum fires and hits.
3: Cold blooded Jason Tatum. It is a 10 point Boston lead. Tatum with 28. Jason Tatum stepping up in the fourth quarter as Boston wins it, 116-108, evening the series against Milwaukee at two games apiece. Tatum with 30 points, 11 rebounds, and or 13 rebounds, rather, and five assists. Al Horford also had a career playoff night, 30 points for Horford, and now Boston will play a best of three against Milwaukee, and the Celtics have home court advantage also last night what I would presume are Katie Wu's Golden State Warriors scored 10 more points than the Grizzlies did in the fourth quarter and Golden State takes a commanding lead in that series with a 101-98 win over the Grizz.
0: One more to go. One more to go for those Golden State Warriors. Steph your guy? Ben my guy. Um, of course, you know, you'd like to see Steve Kerr man- uh manage. Mm-hmm. You'd like to see Steve <laughs> Kerr coaching the game. Hopefully, he feels better soon with COVID, uh but Mike Brown, but congrats to him getting named uh, the head coach of the Sac Kings and then getting named the acting head coach of the Golden State Warriors in one day. That must be a record, right?
3: I would think so. Yeah, to you to in one day. That's a good point. <laughs> I think about that. No doubt about it. So w- At the moment, you've got Golden State, as Katie mentioned, up three games to one. You've got Boston even at two games apiece. And then tonight, you have uh, more NBA action. And our next NBA action for you, by the way, is game five between Boston and uh, the the Bucks. That'll be tomorrow night here on 101 ESPN. But uh, tonight, you'll have the opportunity to tune in on television, if you so desire. And you'll have, uh, let me get to this, make sure that I got it right here you've got the Sixers and the Heat and that series now even at two games apiece and the Mavs and the Suns are also even at two games apiece and tonight's NBA action is on TNT. If anybody here in St. Louis is not watching the Cardinals or the Blues.
1: I can watch all three, Randy. I can do don't 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 test me, sir. I can do all three.
3: So we have a multitasker in the room in Matthew Rocchio.
1: Yeah, I have no idea how this Mavericks and Phoenix series got here. It's 2-2. Two, two. Just completely wait, what? How did this happen? It was supposed to be a <laughs> blowout completely after game two. The same thing with the Boston with the Boston and uh, Milwaukee series. At this point, I, I don't know what I don't know about what's gonna happen <laughs> in these series.
3: None of us do. All right, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN at 7.11. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Katie Wu in for Michelle. And Katie, a great piece about Ryan Helsley of the Cardinals in the athletic. And has he become the Cardinals' high leverage guy? That's next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Michelle Smallman, and she, of course, covers the Cardinals for The Athletic. And Katie, I loved your piece last week about Ryan Helsley and his dominance so far this season. And there really is no other way to describe his pitching than dominant.
0: No, thanks, Randy. I, I would completely <laughs> agree. I mean, this is someone that the Cardinals have been always really high on, but there's always been a little bit of an injury concern. I mean, two separate injuries ended his season in 2021. We saw the velocity. We saw the, the pitch mix. Hadn't always seen the command. And maybe that is attributed to health issues. We talked about that in that story up with Ryan a couple weeks ago. Uh, maybe he's just figuring out the. The, on how to pitch really with a healthy body. But, man, he has been one of the most dominant relievers in baseball. He's certainly been fun to watch. And what he did against the Giants on Friday was, I think, a perfect example on how Ollie Marmel has said he's going to use his reliever, his relievers in the highest leverage situation. For me, Ryan Helsley coming out, getting those five outs, four on strikeouts, mm-hmm. and the heart of the order against San Francisco, perfect example.
3: And I, I think that's telling because Ali said, I'm going to use – my best guy is in the highest leverage situation. Well, Gallegos, nominally, is the closer, but like you say, when it's the three, four, five hitters coming up, it wasn't Gallegos in that high leverage situation. It was Helsley. And if the Cardinals take that approach, I have no problem with that whatsoever. If, if you've got the, the other team's best hitters coming up and Ryan Helsley is facing those guys, based on what we've seen so far, that's the way to go.
0: No, I completely agree. And for me, the the biggest at-bat was that Jock Peterson at-bat. It's a one-run game. Jock Peterson's a lefty power guy. He can really hit the ball. Um, And when you have Helsley going in and he's been throwing gas, tapping out at triple digits the entire outing, and then he drops in three straight curveballs and just throws Peterson completely off his game, that was a very telling moment for me. Personally, I thought that was the, if you had to pick one high leverage of the highest leverage point in the ballgame would have been that at bat and it, it, I think it, we saw a lot of a, how much trust this team has in Helsley to get that and then they turn over to Geo for a clean ninth I don't think that can be understated either that's very important I think the Cardinals don't necessarily prefer to have Geo start nine innings but it certainly is e- or start clean innings but it certainly is easier when he comes out fresh for the ninth so for me that was a really telling point on how the bullpen should be or is going to be used and how Ali Marmel breaks down how he manages not just games but the whole series.
3: So if if we're going to go from the start of the 7th, 8th, ninth, is it safe to say that the, the, the three Cardinal guys are Helsley, Cabrera and Gallegos, is is that the back end of the Cardinal bullpen?
0: I would think so. Um, I, I really do, and I think the more that we see Andre and in, in the majors, the more that he maybe gets factored in. To me, if you're going to maybe pencil how he's going to be used, I could see him being used as the Cardinals used Helsley last year in the late 6th inning, early 7th inning, kind of setting it up for the big three, of course the big three last year, were Cabrera, Gallegos, and Alex Reyes, and now we've had a little bit of a, a role reversal with Reyes Hurt, um, but for me, those are those are the three guys, and I'm almost ready to put Palante back in there too. Just got to see him a little bit more.
3: And Katie, you tweeted the other day about Jake Woodford who did give the Cardinals a really good performance. We haven't seen much of him in a month and a half. What do you think the ultimate Jake Woodford role is? He's got to pitch more than what he's pitched so far, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think the, the Jake Woodford role is the long relief role. I mean, he really thrived for this for the team in 2021 and really stood out to the front office and how he handled that role. Coming back from Memphis, you know, he maybe wasn't all the way ready to take over as a spot starter last summer. Went down to Memphis, fixed his command, worked on some things, came back and shined as a long reliever and as a spot starter. I think that's where the Cardinals want to keep him. And I think a lot of the reasons why we didn't see Jake Woodford early in April is because with expanded rosters, the Cardinals felt they already knew what they had in Woodford. I mean, again, they were really high on him. The front office was raving about him during the GM meetings last November. They didn't necessarily know what they could expect from guys like Drew Verhagen, Aaron Brooks, Nick Wickgren, and they wanted to see an extended opportunity for them. So it didn't kind of make sense, I think, from the outside perspective of, you know, where's Jake Woodford? Why is he not pitching? But internally, the organization felt like Woodford was solid. They knew what they could expect from him. Let's see what these new arms can bring.
3: And I have to believe that, and they did get some two and three inning starts out of uh, Jordan Hicks, but he is ascending, and he's giving them a little bit more every time out. Last year, you had Gant, you had Martinez. There were myriad situations in which the Cardinals were only getting two and a third out of their starter, right? This year... I I would think that they are a little bit surprised, not by Wainwright, but the consistency and the the consistency deep into games for Michaelis, and you're you've gotten not quite what you expect out of Stephen Matz, but when he's good, he he gives you innings. They've had a lot more of those non-two inning starts than I thought they would have.
0: Oh yes, I remember quite well the tribulations <laughs> of early 2021. Um, but certainly the rotation's in a much better spot than last year, even without Jack Flaherty. I remember when, you know, the Cardinals started camp and it was it was brought to attention that Jack wasn't healthy, that it was kind of a huge crisis mode, right? Because, again, you weren't sure what these guys were going to bring. I mean, you've everyone I think at this point has confidence in Adam Wainwright. If you don't, that's on you. Miles mm-hmm. uh, Michaelis, and there was obvious, you know, there was, I understood the doubt coming from Miles. I mean, he'd been hurt for two years. He showed potential and promise of in 2021, but certainly not in the way that we've seen him this first month of the season where he has just been lights out, been really effective, giving the team a chance to win almost every single time he's been out there. I mean, this guy had a 1.52 ERA in April. When you If you told me that in March, I'd be like, well, this rotation certainly is going yeah. to look a lot better. You want a little bit more consistency from Steven Matz. You know, Randy, you mentioned when he's good, he's good. When he's not good, not so good. <laughs> and then same with Dakota Hudson. Um, but I, I think the. The main storyline here and and maybe the most exciting part of the rotation is Jordan Hicks and him being able to elongate, stretch out his outings, and be effective in those outings. And like
3: we talked about uh, off the air, in terms of command and in terms of spotting his pitches, he's getting better at that. Now, he's a guy that he's always pitched to really soft contact, but it was at 105, and sometimes it would be out of the strike zone. He seems to have much greater command now than he had last year at this time when he was a closer, right?
0: Oh, I would agree. I thought his sinker command on whatever, I don't know my Mm -hmm. days, Randy, but his last Saturday, Saturday, that's what I thought. His sinker command on Saturday and his uh, sinker-slider pitch mix was really effective, maybe the most effective we've seen all season, but that's what strikes me interesting about Jordan Hicks is he's learning how to be a starter, but he's also learning how to revamp how he pitches. You know, we've talked about this, you're not going to see Jordan Hicks come out at 104-105 velocity-wise, you're going to see him temper himself, it's funny to say, Mm -hmm. at 101-102, and you're going to see him work his off-speed a little more and, and pitch to contact and being able to be more efficient so we can stretch out and not just be lights out straight gas for two innings but effective consistent mix it up a little bit. He doesn't really want to be a two-pitch guy. He's been working on his changeup, changed his grip a little bit, expect to see that being worked in more. But all of these things, you know, come to the evaluation of Hicks once he transitions from a reliever to a starter, and that's exciting to see him been able to take all those things and being able to work them almost flawlessly back into his routine and progress from there.
3: Now, there is a level of intrigue as we go along, and you were in San Francisco, first of all, for Jack Flaherty's first bullpen. How'd it go?
0: You know, he was, you could just tell, you know, he, he came and he talked to reporters as soon as he was done and he was smiling and you could just tell he felt really good about the situation through 30 pitches, primarily fastballs, but was able to kind of work his breaking stuff back in there, really let it eat on his last one. You could tell that he was focused on, on pitching with intensity. And, and that's kind of what he told us in San Francisco was the primary goal of this first bullpen back was to work up building the, up the intensity and, and work on establishing himself throughout the outing. Um I still think the Cardinals are going to be very cautious with his progress. You know, they, they don't want any setbacks. This is a guy that they figure is going to be back up again with Wainwright, top two guys in the rotation. I think Jack Flaherty is a top pitcher in the league when healthy, and uh, you know it, it does bode well for an interesting conversation on who that odd man out in the starter or, or in the starting rotation is when he comes back.
3: Well, Wainwright, if he's healthy, is going to be in there. Michaelis is going to be in there. Matts is going to be in there with mm-hmm. the four years and forty-four million. And so you're left with Jordan Hicks and Dakota Hudson. We're talking about Jordan Hicks and how much they like his ascent. And Hudson is not able to consistently throw strikes right now. Now, when he came up, he was very effective for the Cardinals out of the bullpen. This is a long way off because what we're talking about with, at least tell me if I'm wrong here, we're talking about... Uh, Jack Flaherty working up towards the first day of spring training.
0: Right. <laughs> right? right. Towards
3: the first day of spring training. So we're at least a couple of months away. But Dakota Hudson has to find his stuff. He's got to find that command we're talking about with Jordan Hicks. Dakota Hudson has to find that too.
5: No,
0: I completely agree. And when you're a sinkerball ball pitcher like Hudson and you live on the ground, you know, ground balls are going to get through. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be yeah. hits, right? And that that's just the nature of the game. So that really, I think, puts an emphasis on limiting free base runners. And I know it's early. I, as I told you off-air, off, off air, Randy, I like to wait a little bit longer when we evaluate pitchers, um, but I'm comfortable in saying that the command is is a concern because he did walk a lot of batters before Tommy John surgery. I mean, that the walks were a concern before that. So, again, I, I think Hudson can be really effective. Uh, and when you are a sinkerball guy that lives on the ground and you have – 18 goal glovers behind Mm -hmm, you in the the outfield and infield. um, You can get away with stuff like that as long as you're limiting the free passes, which I think if the Cardinals want to see Hudson in a successful spot, that's what he needs to do.
3: And he's pitching in the perfect spot. You mentioned the defense and then a ballpark where you can't hit home runs. Exactly. And he doesn't allow home runs. So if you're going to walk people, he's probably in the perfect situation if you're going to be that kind of a pitcher.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you walk a guy and you're a sinker ball guy, you can usually get the ground ball, double play ball. You can't always count on that, of course. Like I said, ground Mm -hmm. ball is Get through but dakota hudson has all the elements of being a successful pitcher He just you know again this is a guy coming back from tommy john surgery i would give him a couple a couple more outings to really find his groove but it does certainly make for a good problem to have i guess when maybe potentially the cardinals actually have too much starting pitching
3: yeah. well and you uh, you and i are on the same page in regards to the evaluation of the staff i've always thought in a normal year non-truncated spring training year Usually about Memorial Day is when your pitching kicks in, and the game has changed. We've talked about not as many innings, but usually if you've got a staff that's going to give you six, seven innings, that's when it's going to start happening on a consistent basis. I still think, especially with the shortened spring training, we're a couple of weeks away from seeing what... Everybody really is.
0: I agree. And of course, you're going to have pitchers that progress at different times and in different elements and different intensities, um, which is, again, why I'm a little hesitant to write anyone on or off about this rotation. Um, but I will say that the starting pitching has been significantly better than I expected. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the, the rotation there needs to get their credit.
3: And by the way... Milwaukee has not gone away. I thought with all the innings that those, and they didn't kill their guys last year, but I thought with all the innings that those guys threw last year that there might be some sort of a regression. It's just not happening with the Brewers. They're really, really
0: good. No, and they keep coming up with, with more guys like yeah. Adrian Hauser, Eric Lauer. I mean, I covered Eric Lauer's rookie season in San Diego, and mm-hmm. I, I would never, you know, there was always, there were sp- spots of, of greatness but 13 strikeouts on sunday night baseball a couple weeks ago did not see that coming so <laughs> brewers they uh, they know how to pitch
3: that is katie i am randy great to have you with us on 101 espn all right so the blues and the wild have played four games so far two in minnesota they were 1-1, two in St. Louis. They were 1-1. We want to hear from you, Tech65780. You have any idea what to expect tonight? What are you planning on tonight for Game 5, the Blues and the Wild, here on 101 ESPN? Your text, if you'd like to leave us a Rhino Shield mic drop with the 101 ESPN app, you can do that as well here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Katie Wu is in for Michelle Swalman. Katie, do you have any sports fan superstitions when your team especially is in a playoff situation? Is there anything that you do specifically or have you done to get your team to win?
0: You know, not that I can really remember. I just remember when I was growing up and sports team that I liked mm-hmm. was in the playoffs. I just felt like I had to watch it with my dad. Mm -hmm. I felt like if I was watching it somewhere else, it just wasn't going to go well. That did not bode well for when I had to go to school, and I would beg all the time to my parents, you know, just let me stay, just let me stay. Never worked, except for, I think, one World Series game I got to do it. I don't even remember if they won or lost, so I don't even know if it's a good superstition.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, you went to Arizona State University. What prompted you to go to Arizona State?
0: I think just the fact that it was Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy, if I'm being completely honest, I had no idea what I wanted to do at 18. I'd lived in California my whole life, and I thought Arizona State looked fun for for obvious reasons. I think my parents were really disappointed to hear that was my reasoning for picking a college. <laughs> it looks fun, but it really worked out. Uh, Arizona State is a fantastic journalism program, and when I was a freshman, they had just launched a sports journalism specific program. Really worked out for someone who had no idea what they wanted to do. Just happened to enroll in a few classes and. Uh, it was a wrap from there.
3: My son toured Arizona State, and for a long time it was known as the party school in America. And when we got the tour, it seemed like they were trying to kind of tamp down on the, the thought that it was a, a big party school. As kids were taking the tour, it, it was like, oh, you know, we have this reputation, but we're not really, so was it really a party school.
0: I understand why they were doing what they did, but yes, 100%. Um, but there, are, no, and I'm not even being biased here. There are some fantastic programs at Arizona State their business school, their journalism school, their law school, all great. And if you're looking for a great time, if you're looking to experience the college lifestyle, there's also that. So, can't go wrong.
1: If you want that hard sell, you do not have to go all the way to Arizona. That's the exact same sell you get when you go down the street to Columbia, Missouri. And Mizzou gives you the exact same one. Like, listen, you have, yes, it's a good time, but listen, we have this program that's amazing in the J School. It's the exact same sell, just, you know, you get snow every once in a while.
3: Yeah, my (laughs) thought as a St. Louis dad was, hey, I'll, I'll make that February or March, I'll make that spring training visit. If if you need me down here I'll, I'll take care of you. All right, what are the Blues going to do tonight? Your text 65780. How about this one from the 314. Blues game tonight, double overtime, Blues win 4-3. I love the specificity of a uh, text like that that we're going to double overtime and the Blues are going to win it by a score of 4 to 3. And I'm I'm proud of you 314 from the 618. If the Thomas line can put one in the net, the Blues will win. So, we're talking Thomas, Kairou, and Saad? Are we, are we back to that? Or I, I'm assuming that's going to be the case. The Russians were back together on Sunday, and I, I would rather see the Russians come, come up with a goal like they played in December. If they can get together and play like they did in December, then the Blues will really have something. But Thomas and Cairou together are really special as well. All right, from the 618. Katie, these people are confident. Bennington gets the shutout, and Vladdy has a big night. It, if we can get a shout out from Jordan Bennington, we're gonna win the game.
0: one thing I know about St. Louis fans, they're really convicted in their beliefs, they're passionate mm-hmm. and they, you know, they they know a lot. So I would I would take it.
3: Well, on Saturday morning the series was over and Minnesota was going to win it.
0: It sounds that that also sounds accurate. Uh, you know, when there's like a three-run home run in the second inning from the visiting team, mm-hmm. and you know it's over. Pack it up. We'll see you guys in, in spring training, right? I get it though. It's better. It's it's passion, you guys. I understand.
3: The passion is great. From the six-one-seven Blues win four-two, seal it with an empty net goal by Jordan Kyrou. Beers and blues in the basement. See, there's a that's a tradition that uh, unlike any other. That is the kind of thing when I'm talking about superstition. You're down in the basement. You're drinking beers. You're enjoying the blues game. What we do at the character household in the playoffs is we go to Schnucks and get a blues cookie cake.
0: Mm, interesting.
3: And sometimes, if things are not going particularly well, seems like the cake goes faster if things are not going
0: well. Well, yeah, it than makes if sense. They are. Makes yeah. sense.
3: But they make the best cookie cakes in the world. So that's become kind of kind of a tradition, superstition that we do at our house. And well, they're only two and two so far in the series.
0: Well, at least that means you've gotten, what, four cookie cakes? Well, we, I only five? do it for road games. I don't do okay. it for home games. Okay. So today.
3: Yeah, I'm headed
1: to Schnucks today.
0: There's no <laughs> doubt about it.
1: Wait a second. We, we talked about superstitions, and you, you brought up the cookie cake. I didn't realize it was only for the road oh, games. Oh, yeah, it's only for so road is games. The, is Because is, is, is just... I'm at the game for the home games. Okay. So do, is there? we know when you're at home for the road games, you have the cookie cake, you have the shoes. Are there any specific in-enterprise playoff superstitions you have for the home games? Well, of
3: course, I, I wear my blue socks. Ooh, okay. Randy's given us Playoffs, the, blue the, whole, to,
0: the whole blue socks yeah. showdown modeling yeah. over here.
3: Yeah. So that that's part of it. That's okay. part of the deal. Yeah, there's always, even if I'm supposed to be the quote unquote journalist, which I'm not, <laughs> uh, I, I'm a fan with access, Katie. That's what I am. I'm a blues fan and a Cardinals fan that happens to have access to the teams. So I don't... I don't couch that in any any way. Everybody knows. But if I happen to happen to have to go into another team's locker room or clubhouse or whatever, I don't want them to know that I'm a fan. So it's it's kind of under the radar stuff that I I wear. I like it. I like it.
0: Versatile. I like it.
3: Yeah. So it's yeah. I can I can do a story if I need to. I just don't want to right now. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like me. (laughs) From the four one seven, I'm expecting one team to score more goals than the other team. I'm hoping that certain team is dressed in blue. Very nice. I like that. I expect it, it to be a constant constant state of feeling like i'm going to throw up that's playoff hockey that's playoff sports is that constant feeling of your your stomach churning and you know at some point you probably are going to throw up
0: why do we why are we like this like as as humans as sports fans, why do we subject ourselves to such horrific and nauseating feelings but then again, I would do the same thing so well, I get it
3: here's the thing it's because of the hoped for result. It's the worst and best thing in the world because as you're going through it, it's horrible. If you're playing a double overtime game, if you're the Cardinals and you fall behind 9-7 in Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, it's the worst thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But the euphoria on the other end is why we do it, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. That is a great way to put it. And I think that's also season long, right? I mean, you think of last summer, not to remind Cardinals fans of what wasn't a great time point of the season. Mm -hmm. The Cardinals were not a good team. They were playing some really bad baseball. And I think that's what made that 17-game winning streak in September so much more enthralling was because... It clicked and you know of course the wild card game didn't end how Cardinals fans would have wanted but I I think it's a perfect example of a you know best and worst of times yeah
1: I don't know I, th- I think it's that uh, that quote from winning time that we talked about the other day you mm-hmm. know we, we care about it because you know when, when you're when you're when you're everything else means so much it's kind of cool to have emotions and be able to freely you know have emotions on things that really in your life don't actually affect it very much yes. you know it's like it's a free way to have an emotion without it actually having to bear the weight you know, down the road. It's just bang, let's feel it and then let's move on tomorrow. That's 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 you don't get a lot of that in life, I think.
3: No. From the six three six, if we we have success tonight, that's the blues, a lot of it will be because of Jordan Bennington. The wild will see this as a must win at home and have several surges tonight. If Binner is on top of his game and helps us survive these moments, we have a chance to win. And Blues win tonight, come home. My prediction was that the Blues would win in six. I really have no idea. But I'll feel pretty good about their opportunity and their their ability to win game six at home.
0: Hey, you know, Randy, I support you. I do.
3: I like that. Uh, the Blues have to win tonight or they will lose in game seven. Uh, Michelle picked the Blues in seven. I hope they don't lose in seven. And one other one. That's an Uncle Randy. That's for tomorrow. We do Uncle Randy. I expect, expect the Blues to dress 11 forwards and 7 defensemen and I hope all 7 of them are available for the next game. That's going to be the key. Is if if you can have Letty healthy and getting the puck out of his own and not turning things over, the Blues can be like they were in game 1. They won game 1 4 to nothing and they're capable of doing that. Let's get a couple of quick mic drops for you. This is Jonathan with Katie and Randy on 101 ESPN. Hey Randy, I think that uh, the Blues are going to go into uh, Minnesota, and uh, I think they're going to handle business. Um, I fully expect Jordan Bennington to be back in net after his performance um, the other night. I think Huso's been great, but I think Bennington has earned his spot back in that net. And especially if we're going to get our uh, a couple of our defensemen back, I think we'll go in there and we'll handle business. Uh, Thanks, guys. Have a good day. All right, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Isn't it amazing how, whether it's a baseball pitcher, it's a quarterback in football, it's the goalie in hockey, how the entire emotion of a town can ride on one guy's shoulders.
0: Yes, and that's the way it
3: is with Jordan Bennington right now.
0: No, I can definitely see it. Um, I, and I think I, what I love about it is that it transcends through all sports and, and all teams. I mean, when you think of any specific team in baseball, I mean, we're talking about the Warriors. You think Steph Curry? Uh, Cardinals are a little different because they have two, potentially mm-hmm. three guys now, um, and Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, and Albert Pujols. Uh, but it's just, I think. Uh, Really cool to see a city rally behind one specific player and put all their confidence in it. And I don't know how these guys do it because the second I have an ounce of pressure on me, I'm out. So really have a lot of respect for what these, guys, what these guys do.
3: And it's amazing to think that Albert did that for 11 years here where he was the man. And if the Cardinals were down a run in the eighth inning and Albert was going to come up in the eighth or the ninth, we just assumed that he was going to do something and he was either going to tie the game or, or put the Cardinals ahead. I don't think we appreciate that kind of pressure that athletes have, especially the elite athletes like that where you have to perform and everybody in the world is expecting it.
0: Right. And if you make a mistake, which, you know, you're going to make a mistake because you are a human being, it's absurd. It's unheard of. It's how could you do that? But, you know, forget all the thousands of things they've they've done over their course of their career where they have delivered in that moment. But, you know, what's so funny about guys like that and athletes like that is they rarely ever do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Special humans could never be me. I don't know how
3: they do it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get one more mic drop. And John has joined Katie Wu and Randy on 101 ESPN.
4: Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Matthew. What do I expect from tonight? I expect to watch Wayno and Yachty and the Cardinals have a 6-0 shutout, Pujols going deep. After eating my ballpark nacho, tater tot nachos, at 8.30 I expect to put on my headset and listen to Curbs and Joey call a 4-2 Blues victory as Bennington shoves it back at the wild again.
3: That is positivity. I, I really appreciate that.
0: John over here is living what I believe to be my best life. I would love nothing yeah. more than being in the stadium seats, have a different game on, and eating a barbecue are they barbecue taut nachos?
3: Uh they're know. just loaded nachos. Loaded nachos. Yeah. Still good. They're, Still good. Uh, section one thirty five, they're delicious.
0: Don't tell me that, Randy, because I'm I'm trying to limit my ballpark intake. But it's you know, hard to do if, when you're basically guys see me in section one thirty five today. No you didn't.
3: <laughs> By the way. And I, I am as much of an Albert Pujols fan as anybody, but you can't you can't play him against right-handers, can you? And, and Bradish is a right-hander tonight. It's just the numbers
1: bear it out, right? He's not a very good right-hander, so
3: maybe? There's yeah.
0: very specific right-handers I think you can see Pujols against. I think the low-velocity, high-junk guys has a much better shot than the high-velocity guys. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like the the Cardinals game plan. If there's a lefty, he'll be in there.
3: Yeah, and... For example, tonight with Bradish, if you have the choice right now between Juan Yapez or Albert, trying to win the game, you're going to play Yapez, right? He's going to be your DH tonight. I mean, over we... Albert and probably over Dickerson.
0: Well, we talked to Ollie Marmal on Sunday, and you know, I asked him. What has warranted Yep has seen such consistent at-bats? And, I mean, he's been in the starting lineup since being called up, and he said it's the quality of the at-bats. It's the quality of contact. He like We know Ali plays matchups, and he, he really takes the analytical side into consideration, probably more than I can even explain accurately, because that's just how smart these guys are. But he said it comes down to, you know, I can't justify taking someone who's taking these quality of at-bats out of a lineup, regardless of the matchup, regardless of who the opposing starting pitching is. And Yepes has really earned this opportunity. And I think if we saw this kind of product and progress in spring training, he probably would have made this roster Mm -hmm. off the bat. However, I don't know if the Cardinals get Albert Pools. if that's the case. So I like to think of it all working out for the best of both worlds. Cardinals get Albert back. You know, that's great for the city of St. Louis, great for the organization. And what Albert's done to mentor these young guys like Juan Yepes has been completely understated, in my opinion. And they get to see some of their top prospects coming up and absolutely deliver. I mean, that moment for Yepes hitting his first career home run, no cheap shot either. That was the deepest part in Oracle Park uh, with his mom in the stands, his dad, his older brother. Just an emotional time for everyone. I was able to talk to his mom after, and her English is limited, but... Emotion transcends all language, right, Randy? Right. And I mean, her smile, the, her eyes were still watery, and she was just so happy. It was just an incredible moment for that family. That's so
3: cool, and the first of a thousand.
0: That's what—that's the goal. That's what he wrote at I don't know what age, young childhood Juan Yepes, that he wanted to hit 1,000 home runs. Yeah. So, one down.
3: And John, for you, we hope that there is a lefty reliever in there, and that Albert does hit that home run. That's Katie. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's take it or leave it with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing.
3: In for Michelle Matthew Rocchio is here I'm Randy Carricker, and it's time for take it or leave it get your text in to the air comfort service text line 65780 Katie baseball announced yesterday that they're going to play games in London in 2023 2024 and 2026 I don't know why we're leaving 2025 out of the mix here but take it or leave it Katie Wu will be covering a baseball game in London next year
0: I'm taking it I'm taking it um yeah. Can't say too much, but I'm taking that.
3: Yeah, the Cardinals, before the pandemic, were going to play in London. They have a great global brand, so it just makes sense. And I'm with you. I'm going to take it, too, that the Cardinals play in London. Maybe yeah. against
0: the Cubs. I that's That would be something, right? Yeah. And, hey, Cardinals-Cubs is a good time anywhere, but I think London would really just amplify it. And um, if you're listening to my editors, this is an early pitch to send me there. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, you have to be there. That's what I said. <laughs> All
3: right. You got one for us?
0: All right, guys, take it or leave it. Tommy Edmond is an all-star this season.
3: Oh, great. Katie, I think he's the best second baseman in the National League. I think I have to take that. I, I like it. I can't... Is there anybody better? I just... think
0: certainly over, over April. I mean, it's really hard, maybe difficult to imagine what the Cardinals would be without him. Yeah, Albies right? is going to be there. Yes.
1: Um, I don't know. Randy, here's why he's an all-star. Because none of the other shortstops in baseball are hitting very well. That's why he's going to be an all-star because when Nolan Gorman comes up and they got to move him to shortstop and he's raking compared to a shortstop class that is not living up to its free agency expectations, that's how he he makes it into the all-star game as a shortstop. I see where you're going. Good trick.
3: All right, your text 65780. Matthew, what do you got for us? (laughs)
1: 618, take it or leave it. Justin Falk should be a Norris Trophy finalist.
3: I will leave that. I love Justin Falk. He had a magnificent year, but... No, he should not be a Norris Trophy finalist.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, uh, playoffs do not. I mean, you've got Hedman,
3: you've got Yossi, <laughs> uh, right? You've got Makar. I it's, think those are your three finalists, right there. Probably.
1: This fan and a lot of NBA fans need to be reminded: they're not postseason awards; they are regular mm-hmm. season awards. That's just the fact of the matter. Just get over it. Uh, take it or leave it. Ninety degrees, which is going to be today, is better than sixty degrees. Oh, that's a tough one. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll take it.
3: Okay. I would much rather be outside in 90 degrees than 60. So, Katie, if I'm out on my bike or if I'm golfing, I would prefer 90 over 60.
0: I'm, I would agree. If I'm outside regular day, I love the hot weather. I lived in Arizona State, or I went lived in Arizona for a very long time. However, have you guys ever tried to do business casual clothes at a ballpark in 90 degrees? Yeah, it's, it's a no. Hard. It's Sounds, a no for yeah, me. Terrible. Also, horrible hair days. So I think for me, it's something just I really
3: concern myself with. Clearly,
0: uh, I get it, Randy. Look, <laughs> it's a struggle out here. So um, I guess if I'm on a work related, like ballpark related today, I'm um, I'm leaving it. Give me the 60 degree weather and a hot chocolate. Good to go. Oh.
1: <laughs> Throwing in the hot chocolate. I like that. All right, uh, it's National Shrimp Day. We were just talking Whoa. about uh, shellfish in the, in the break. Coincidentally, take it or leave it. The Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp is the best name in sports. I like that.
0: I'm going to leave it, and here's why. The Boston Red Sox AAA team. Trash bandas? Woo Sox. Oh. oh! So, for obvious reasons, yeah, that is that's the really best good. name in baseball. And I, my old editors got me even a shirt. They are mascots of smiley face. All around, a great time.
3: There are uh, so many good nicknames out there. The Jumbo Shrimp is a really good nickname. The Montgomery Biscuits have, might have the best logo in sports great with a little logo. butter coming out of the as the tongue of the biscuit. Uh, so, I'm going to leave that one just because there's so many good nicknames out there.
1: I like that. 314. Take it or leave it. The playoff format for the NHL is still so bad. If the top team in the conference advances, they should be able to play a wild card. Then, then they should advance instead of the two or three in the same division.
3: Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Hey, play either one through eight, one versus eight, two versus seven in the conference, or just once you get to the playoffs. Go one through six, one plays 16, two plays 15. They've done that in the past in the NHL and it worked pretty well. I have no problem with that either.
1: Do you think that the travel aspect is too, even with today and the fact that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're chartering private and things like that? Do you think like having a series at seven games between potentially, you know, Vancouver and the Panthers is that, you know, unfair for those teams in a first round? No.
3: If you don't like it, play better. I love that.
1: Take it or leave. it. Bennington will get the rest of the starts for
3: this series. I'm going to take it. I, I think that uh, we've seen the last of Eli Huso for
1: this series. How do, okay? Let's say they. Let's say it goes seven. It goes seven. Bennington go. <laughs> Bennington plays all of them. Game one of the Avalanche series. Who are you starting? If the Blues win, yeah, you got to start Bennington, right? So yeah, yeah if he I, just won the last series for you, that'd be fantastic. Because now now we now, now we can talk all the time of when do we see Huso next time. Yeah, right. God, I love playoff hockey. <laughs> never gets it. Never gets old. Take it or leave it. Tarasenko will be the Blues' best offensive player tonight.
3: Um, this is a good question, and we need to see it, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna say yes. So this is the the point at which he steps up and becomes the guy that we all know he
1: is. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals will sweep the Orioles this week.
0: I'll leave it. They'll win the series, I think. But it's hard to sweep a team, guys. Even though it is the Orioles. But this, the Orioles. I'm not by any means saying they're a good team. But they are playing a little bit better. I know mm-hmm. the bar was low. The bar was low. Um, but I don't. I, I don't know. I think uh, a series win.
3: And by the way, uh, they are run by Mike Elias from the Cardinal organization. Went with Jeff Luno to Houston, and Segma Dahl is in that organization. But they're trying to build on a budget. They don't have many scouts. Uh, it doesn't seem like, well, it doesn't seem like they're really following the cardinal way in regards to trying to build their organization. No. They're, they're just not that good.
0: No. They're, they're really not and of course they're they're really enticing players have been hurt and it's just yeah. blow after blow i mean uh but hey good news is longtime friend zach silver covered the cardinals last mm-hmm. year for mlb.com now covers the orioles and he'll be here for three games uh i'm looking forward to being as annoying as possible in the press box <laughs> with him i
1: miss zach already i'm, I'm glad he's coming <laughs> back already 314 take it or leave if an employee calls in sick and then comes back to work the next day with a sunburn that's a clear sign of a questionable employee
3: Oh, this so they is an interesting in sick, question.
1: And they show up the next day, and they have a sunburn. So, did they call in sick on
3: Monday, though? Because it could have been a sunburn from over the weekend. The the sick day could have been a product of being sunburned.
0: Oh, Randy, you're trusting. You're you, very trusting. This,
1: this, is, is it a good employee? That's my question. This, this, I mean, this sounds, Randy. The fact that your brain went there, that that tells me this sounds like a man okay, who, has, so, who has played some golf before when he wasn't supposed <laughs> to be.
3: No, I. I don't call in sick very often. No, you don't. No, One you of the don't. very rare sick days I've ever had in my life was Friday. That was crazy. So I wouldn't call in sick to play golf. Now, that being said, I wouldn't begrudge anybody who did. <laughs> so uh, I'm going uh, to leave that. I don't think that's necessarily the sign of a bad employee.
1: I just like how you immediately went to the well, I mean, if the sun burns on Monday, can you really get them? That's that's well, maybe you were sick on Monday because yeah. of the
3: sunburn that you incurred over the weekend. Yeah. That's my thing.
1: That's a great thought process. We'll get it. We'll get a note. You can say you know from Randy character
3: Well, that's always a good one too. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service Text Line six five seven eight zero. Katie is in for Michelle. Michelle. I can speak. I can't. I promise. And I'm Randy. Coming up next, how much is the presence and success of Juan Yepes affecting? other players in this organization that's next on 101 espn
2: we're right back to the character and smallman podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn a fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories it's character and smallman's fresh tea
6: brought to you by schnooks rewards it pays to shop at schnooks download the schnooks rewards app today
3: Katie Wu of The Athletic is in for Michelle this morning. We appreciate Katie getting up early and coming in and doing a radio show. You're, I can tell, an early morning person anyway, so this is no problem for you.
0: Oh, yes. Total <laughs> early morning person. Um, but it, it's it's fine, Randy. I'd do anything for for you guys to be here. I really do enjoy the show and doing some radio. We're, and I do have a power nap scheduled for after this.
3: I'm proud of you. All right. Let's talk about Juan Yipez and specifically, Katie, Obviously, Corey Dickerson and Lars Nubar did not perform well against right-handers. Juan Lopez has come up. Granted, small sample size, but 17 plate appearances against right-handers. He's hitting 500 with a 1.342 OPS. He has three extra base hits in those 17 plate appearances. So right now, we we really like what we see from Lopez specifically against right-handed pitching. And we know Albert's going to go against left-handed pitching. So... Who are the players that are most affected in this organization by the success of Juan Yapez at the major league level?
0: I think that Corey Dickerson is probably sweating a little bit right now. Um, and I think Brendan Donovan is probably, you know, and this is not a knock on Donovan. I think he's been very valuable with what he did and the way that he's been used. I mean, when he was called up, it was to spell the the starting players, defensive replacements, pitch it when necessary. Um but, yeah, those are the two that I think are really going to be impacted. Uh, Corey Dickerson will see a longer sample size just because of the contract, right? But, I mean, we've mm-hmm. talked about this already, Randy. If, if Yepes is getting this quality at bats and he can perform and produce and contribute, he's staying.
3: And the reason Dickerson was brought in was to hit for power. And, yes, he's hit well with runners in scoring position, but he hasn't for, hit for any power yet. And here we are, a month and a half into the season, $5 million is... A substantial investment it's a lot of money but in baseball terms it's something that you can part with if you feel like you have something better to help you win this year
0: and that's what I thought was was a little confusing about the Dickerson signing if it was for power because his numbers haven't really shown any power over the last few seasons. I mean, he's hitting for contact. He hits fine with runners in scoring position. He does the job if the if your job is to hit for contact and score a run, but he was signed to bring in power as a designated hitter, and the power has trended downwards over the last few seasons, so that was a little puzzling to me. Um, and what Yap has been able to do, I mean, we saw it last year in the minor leagues. We saw it in uh, Memphis already in April, and now he comes up and makes his transition look super easy easy um, it certainly makes for uh, some difficult conversations to, to be had if he continues to be doing this
3: the other question I have is is the eventual promotion of Nolan Gorman inevitable it is but is that at all affected by the success of Yepez or is Yepes is Gorman gonna be a second baseman I was thinking he was going to be a DH. How is the the ascent of Gorman affected by the success of Yepes here, specifically against right-handed pitching?
0: That's a good point, Randy. And I, I'm not sure if they're entirely impacted. Although certainly maybe they play into it a little bit. But I think when Nolan Gorman comes up, it is not it's not going to be out of necessity, right? Well, the Cardinals brought up Brendan Donovan out of necessity. They brought up Juan Yepes in part because he was playing so well, but because Edmundo Sosa went on the injured list. When the Cardinals bring up Nolan Gorman, it will be. Because he fits exactly what they need, and he is going to stay. We've heard Ollie Marmol say that when Nolan Gorman gets to the big league club, he expects him to be playing every day. I talked to John Mozeliak last week just about the prospects and and how the farm system was looking, and he said the same thing. He said that he would expect if Nolan Gorman, if there was a right-handed pitcher, Nolan Gorman was going to see almost, if not all, at bats against them. So that's, I think, the difference between a guy like Gorman and prospects like Yepes and Donovan and Newbar and how they're going to be used. So I'm not quite sure if there is a overlap in in maybe how Yepes' performance has impacted Gorman so far. I do think that You know, when Gorman comes up, though, it will be as both a second baseman and as a a designated hitter. And that's why we haven't seen him promoted is because I I think the organization feels like he still needs to fine tune himself at second base a little bit more. Keep in mind, he's only been playing that position for about 14, 15 months. Mm And I can see it a little bit.
3: And you wrote a great piece about it, asked all the right questions, answered every question that somebody could have about this. And I think one thing that we... Because they're great athletes, we take for granted that they're just going to be great when you plug them in. And Tommy Edmond has been a shortstop in college, right, and throughout the minor league system. But he didn't take a single ground ball at shortstop in spring training. And making that move, in the, maybe you make it during the All-Star break or something like that. I think making that move from second base to short, even for a guy that's played a lot of short is more difficult than we probably give it credit for being.
0: Oh, 100%. I mean, you look at what Tom Edmond's doing at second base right now. I mean, this is a guy that's played there every day for what one season and uh he continues he's he's been stellar obviously he's a 2020 uh, 2021 gold glove winner like it's obvious that he has the all the skill there and he continues to get better i mean what does that say about how hard the sport is and how hard defense is is if you win a gold glove and there's still plenty of room for you to get better mm-hmm. so i think we are and maybe tommy Edmunds one of those guys that we don't appreciate enough because he can do everything so well he's so versatile he's a switch hitter he's fast he plays great defense he was there best fourth outfielder last year right. um, but I do think that it is a a little bemusing to hear just play shortstop he'll be great will he be great yeah he'll probably be fine he's Tommy Edmund he's fine at everything but it is a uh, it requires a lot of skill and it's not a, necessarily an easy transition although he certainly would make it look it I think
3: and when you look at the history of this franchise and pretty much any franchise that wins a lot Defense up the middle is key, and I I hate to give up a Gold Glover at second base for a guy that I'm pretty sure is not going to be a Gold Glover at second base, and yes, Tommy Edmund might, might wind up being terrific, but I think we're actually going to move away from that Mike Moustakis-type second baseman, and that's what I kind of envision Gorman as, mm-hmm. because if we get away from the shift, you're going to need to have rangy guys at short and at second. and for all of the deficiencies of Young, DeYoung, and Edmund. Right now, DeYoung because Edmond, or uh, DeYoung and Sosa because Sosa isn't playing. But as of yesterday, Paul DeYoung was still leading Major League Baseball shortstops in, or second, I guess, leading the National League in defensive runs saved.
0: No, and that's a great point because, look, I I understand the offensive discourse around Paul DeYoung. It's warranted. I get it. I get that patience is running thin. I'm not excusing the lack of production by any means. But what do we know about the Cardinals? What do they value the most? It's defense. It's always been defense. They really value—like, that's where they shine. Um, And I think the organization feels like if if they're going to— Move someone like Paul DeYoung off of shortstop and slot Tommy Edmund to shortstop across the infield and put in Gorman. They lose significance defensive value, and I have to agree with them. I mean, I don't think we're giving Paul DeYoung enough credit for what he's doing defensively. Maybe that just comes with the overall frustration mm-hmm. of his offense. I don't know. One thirty will do that, well, <laughs> and I get it. All right, I get it. Like I hear it. I, I'm not saying it's wrong by any means, but I think if you have to, you have to look at the defense of Paul DeYoung and the offense of Paul DeYoung and really focus there on how stellar that defense has been at shortstop. The Cardinals have one of, I think, the best defensive middle infields in baseball. And uh, for a team that's always valued defense and fundamentals, it'd be kind of really out of character for them to all of a sudden change their mind about how valuable it is.
3: That's Katie Wu in for Michelle. I'm Randy and that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to talk to somebody that Katie works with that we love and have on every week. Mike Claiborne. Claibs is with us next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: michelle smallman i'm randy Carricker. great to have you with us and great to go to the brown and crouppen celebrity line and our friend mike claiborne Claibes online joins us you need to check out the joe west podcast fifty four sixty with joe west good morning Claibes. how are you doing
7: i'm doing great
3: how about you guys everything's good we're g- glad to have uh, katie Wu in
7: studio i know man. katie Wu is uh one of my favorite people i read on a regular basis and she does a really good job uh in her second year covering the Cardinals, she's on top of everything.
0: Ah, oh, thanks, Claves, and right back at you. You're one of my favorite people too. I'm excited for this little role reversal. Usually, it's it's you asking me questions, so it'll be good to switch it up.
3: Bring it on. <laughs> Well, let's start with this. The old St. Louis Browns are in town. We aren't old enough to remember the St. Louis Browns, but man, this is an organization, Mike, I was looking last night. It was within the last decade. They've been to the playoffs, the Orioles have, three times. They've been to an American League Championship Series. You talk about a reversal of fortune. It's remarkable how bad the Orioles have become.
7: Yeah, embarrassing is probably the word I would use, considering that at one point, they kind of mirrored the Cardinals as far as an organization was concerned. Uh, they stressed the fundamentals. They were good on defense. They had good pitching, and uh, since the current ownership has taken over, they've gone in the opposite direction. And, and it's unfortunate because fans in Baltimore uh, really deserve better.
0: Claves, when you're looking out, l- let's let's play let's play GM for a moment. How would you well, the first thing you would fix about the Orioles? What would it be? Sell the
7: team. <laughs> that's the first thing I do, I would sell the team to somebody else because the current ownership hasn't made a commitment, and, and that's unfortunate. Uh, the second thing is, uh, you, you know, you have to build through scouting. You, you know, you have to build internally. You know, the free agent thing is nice if you can supplement a position here or there, but I, I think overall you have to be able to to find people who really understand scouting and development. Show some patience and stay with these kids that you're going to invest in. I think you have to really look at that more now than ever before. And don't rush them. I think we we look at games and teams now. Everybody's bringing up their prospects. And Dan O'Dowd had a nice piece recently about how many of these so-called phenoms are failing. And some of them will be okay. I mean, everybody hits the wall in baseball. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I think that the the issue here is you know, do you give this kid more room to grow or do you give him more room to hang himself? And I think that that's where you're at for a lot of these teams. And I think when you look at a Baltimore, you know, obviously they're going to have top picks every year. But you have to make sure that they're the right pick for you and, and being patient enough to let them succeed and also let them hit the wall from time to time.
3: Claibs, you're talking about the Cardinal outfield, are you? We, we, we saw such good things from those guys down the stretch last year, and we've seen glimpses this year, and it looks like that they all have a chance to ascend this year. Where do you think they are right now, that group of O'Neill, Bader, and Dylan Carlson?
7: Well, I, I think really this is kind of a crossroads year for, for Bader and, and certainly O'Neill because, you know, they've been around long enough, they've had success. But I think we're all anxious to see them get to the next level. Um, And and I think Bader more than anyone else because of the fact that the offense hasn't been as consistent as you'd like for it to be. You see flashes enough of it, and you say, well, he's a pretty good center fielder, so you're willing to wait. Uh, I, I think Carlson is the X factor here because I think he probably has more gold gloves in his future. Uh, than the other two and that's saying something when they already when O'Neal already has two and Bader has one working on second so I really like their future but you know their guys knocking at the door behind them and that's the fun thing about the Cardinals there's always somebody knocking at the door in most positions that give you the reason why you can move a guy and maybe get a prospect or get someone else that can help you in another area
0: Claves, I know you like to wait for evaluations uh, of a team until Flag Day, but we are look, we're one month into the season here. For me, that's when I can do my first little check mark of where the team is at. Who has surprised you the most, either in a good or a bad way, just with their overall performance uh, over the first month of the season?
7: I think it's Ryan Helsley uh, and what he's been able to do when given the opportunity. If you remember, He was hurt a lot last year, and, you know, he obviously had a chance to get his body squared away and also think about what other pitches he was going to use. So what he's done in his his 10 innings at work uh, certainly is noticeable, and and it's not just the fact he can throw 100 miles an hour without grunting. Uh, (laughs) I just like what else he's able to do uh, by mixing up his pitches and really going after guys instead of being the thrower that he used to
3: be. Hey, Klaibs, overall... Uh, Katie and I were talking about it earlier. You really have to like where this bullpen is headed, don't you, with uh, Helsley and Mm -hmm. Gallegos at the back end. It seems like they've established a back end of the bullpen, and this is one of those, and you have to have it in Major League Baseball now, a bullpen where a guy's coming in and you don't say, "Uh uh-oh.
7: Yeah, you're right, Randy, and I think the Cardinals have a few uh uh-ohs. When you think about what Gallegos can show you, and and, and certainly the, the growth of Cabrera, and there's a guy named Jake Walsh in the organization and I think we're going to see here in the very near future. Uh, and the reports that I've heard and what I saw in spring training tell me that this guy is going to be another one of those uh-oh pitchers where what are we going to do with him because we can't hit him. And if you have enough of those guys on the back end with length, because I don't think you can really afford to have a guy to be a one-inning guy all the time anymore. Or uh, we've, we've gone away from having the left-handed specialist I think you're also going to see guys have to stretch out a little bit more and give you an inning in two-thirds or perhaps two innings in order to be really effective because you've got enough guys in your bullpen where you don't have to use the same guy every day anymore. I think you've got enough length that you have enough people that you can you know, rotate them every other day if necessary.
3: And to be clear, I was doing Fana. Oh, I was doing Todd Burns, Esteban Yan, Pedro Borbone Jr., Dennis Reyes, uh-oh. <laughs> I was the other uh-oh.
7: Well, there's another term, it's, it's, oh, shoot, is what you really mean. Uh, not this guy. And, and, you know, there's always a guy in your bullpen you raise your eyebrow to, like, what are we, why are we playing him right now? Well, because normally you don't have anybody better or your bullpen's a little fried and you really don't want to use them and you try and put them in those mop-up situations. But every now and then you have to throw them out there when somebody else brings a leak. And when they get exposed, you go back to saying, I wonder why we have them. And then that's when you get on the phone and try and find somebody a little bit better. And and I think we saw that last year when the Cardinals found T.J. McFarlane Mm -hmm. and uh, Luis Garcia on the scrap heap. And those guys turned out to be just, just oh so good for the Cardinals down the stretch
0: speaking of oh-so-good, Nolan Arenado has just been lights out for this team. I mean, April Player of the Month. I mean, he came into spring training really convicted and being better. And, of course, when you are following up a season in which you hit 30 home runs and had over 100 RBI and you say that you weren't very good and needed to be better, kind of makes you laugh at, at just how high the expectations can be. But he certainly seems to be living up to what he has said. What have you seen from Nolan Arenado over the first month?
7: Yeah, That's a great point, Katie. Uh, I don't know. And, you know, I don't want to say I don't know if there's anybody who shows more commitment because I think there's some guys in this team that show more commitment than I've seen in a long time, and I put Paul Goldschmidt in that category along with Tommy Edman. But what Arnado has been able to do uh, in his opportunities it, it is fascinating because he doesn't give away at bats. Okay, now he may not get a hit every time, but when he has two strikes. That's a guy who bears down more than a lot of guys who just surrender and say, "I got no chance to hit the slider or the changeup. I'm just gonna, you know, just make a casual swing and get out of here." Arnado is a battler, uh, and what he's meant on the team base, along with Paul, I have to go back to man, Kenny Boyer, Bill White, you know, and, and this is well before your time, Michelle. Uh, Terry Pendleton, Jack Clark, somewhere along that line where guys are good on both sides of the field. Uh, but, you know, when you talk about commitment, Arnato man, he's he's right there in the in the discussion. As Tony La Russa would say, he's certainly tied for first.
3: Hey, Claves, before we talk about the Joe West podcast, I want you to react to this. Fox Sports announced within the last half hour that when Tom Brady retires, he's going to become their lead football analyst, which is great, but... I just can't believe that we're going to have a Cowboys-Rams game and more people are going to tune in, significantly more, $25 million a year worth more, to see Tom Brady be the analyst. I'm amazed at what's happened with that business.
7: I, I am too, Randy. Um, there's a handful of people, in my opinion, and, and I've watched enough football and, and, and the other sports, where there's very few people who actually move the needle uh, because of what I certainly it. respect the work ethic that goes into it, but at the end of the day, I don't turn the game on to, to hear a, an analyst. I really don't. I mean, you know, it's great that they can contribute, but that's not why I'm watching I want to watch the players, and I'll be honest with you, I'd be more interested in watching Tom Brady the player than, than Tom Brady the analyst.
3: I agree, and Brady will play at least one more year and maybe more, but when he retires, he is going to Fox. Finally, Claves, you are a couple of weeks in now to the Joe West 5460 podcast. Who do you got coming up? Well,
7: this week we have um, Mark Grace. You remember him from his days with the Cubs and certainly uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, we're going to visit with him, talk a little bit with him about his career and his relationship with Joe West. And Kelly Chase, we all know and love here in St. Louis will be part of that because Kelly Chase and Gracie uh, were in the minor leagues together in Peoria. Kelly Chase with the Peoria Rivermen and, and uh, uh, Mark Grace is with the Peoria Cub organization. So uh, they have a few stories. So I'm, I'm looking forward to everybody having a chance to check it out. Uh, we we laugh a lot. Let's just put it that way. We had laugh a lot, not to mention the stories that Joe West has. And it's amazing, Randy. You, anytime I talk to him, He's got a story about something that I didn't know, and, and it's the things you know about the game and just other things in life uh, that you find out that Joe West knew about. For instance, he was telling me yesterday about why Dodgers stayed. The Dodgers have uh, their dugout on the third base side because when Walter O'Malley was sitting in the stands, the sun was always beaming on him uh, because he was on the third base, on the first base side. I mean, just little things like that. that That's some great people stuff. I get a kick out of. But uh, I would suggest everybody check us out. Uh, we have a lot of fun with it and looking forward to having some uh, other great guests coming on
3: down the road. Looking forward to it. Guaranteed entertainment with Grace and Chase. Clay's always great to have you with us. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next week.
7: Looking forward to it, Katie.
0: I'll see you at the ballpark. Don't I know it. See you soon.
3: You got it. Mike Claiborne joining us on 101 ESPN. And of course, you can hear him on the Cardinal broadcast tonight on the Cardinal Radio Network. Coming up, we've got the fight for you on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, Average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy.
1: And you know what that sound means? That means it's time for the fight here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Welcome back into the show. Katie Wu is here in for Michelle Smallman. Randy is in the hallway. It is the fight here, 8.30 on Carrick and Smallman. Let's bring in our fighter for the day. We're going to bring in Mark. He's going to be taking on Randy. Mark, how are you doing today? I am great. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. How are you feeling before this fight?
7: I'm feeling good.
1: Oh, there we go. Mark's feeling good, and let's let's get right into it. Katie, take over with question one.
0: All right, Mark, let's hit it. Number one. What was the last season the Browns played in St. Louis before moving to Baltimore? You got three options: A is it 1953, B 1956, or C
7: 1959. I'm going to go with B.
1: All right, on this day in 1970, Bobby Orr scored his famous OT winner against the Blues to sweep the Stanley Cup. Which blue sent him flying post-goal to create the iconic photo from the game? Was that Barkley Plager, Bobby Plager, or Noel Picard? Barkley.
0: All right, Mark, happy birthday to Edward Mujica, and which season did he lead the Cardinals with 37 saves? Was it 2011? 2013, or 2015?
7: That would be
1: 2013. And number four, who was the last Cardinal to win a gold glove at shortstop? Is that Ozzie Smith, Aledmus Diaz, or Edgar Enterria?
7: I'm going to go with Ozzie Smith.
1: All right, there it is. We got Mark. How are you feeling about your uh, performance today on the fight, Mark? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Mark answers not great for his performance. Randy is in studio. Randy, say hi to Mark. He'll, he's who you're challenging today in the fight.
3: Mark, good morning. Great to have you That's with us. How are you mic. doing?
1: There we go. There we go. Now you're Hello, up. Good Mark. Good
3: morning, Randy. I am fantastic.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it.
7: Absolutely.
1: All right. All right, let's get underway with, with with Randy's questions now.
0: All right, Randy, question for you, number one, what was the last season the Browns played in St. Louis before moving to Baltimore?
3: It was the 1953 campaign.
0: All
1: right, on this day in 1970, Bobby Orr scored his famous OT winner mm-hmm. against the Blues to sweep the Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. which blue sent him flying post goal to create the iconic photo from that game. I think it was Noel Picard.
0: Happy birthday to Edward Mujica. In which season did he lead the Cardinals with 37 saves, Randy?
3: 37 saves for Mujica. They played in Anaheim that year. That's when he really got going. So they played against Albert. Um, Okay. Uh, They were a playoff team. He had 37 saves. I'm going to go with... I think he was actually in the World Series against Boston. I'm going to go 2013.
1: All right, and number four, who was the last Cardinal to win a gold glove at the shortstop position?
3: Um. Well, let's see. I think Renteria did post him. Um, DeYoung has not won one they had like six different short steps in six different years and I don't remember Cesar is tourist winning one I don't remember Brendan Ryan winning one I don't remember Tyler Green winning one because they didn't um, and uh, oh you know who else uh, the other green uh, Khalil green he didn't win one either um, So I think that I will, I think I'll go uh, Edgar Interia. but it might be Ozzy. I don't know. I'll go Edgar Interia.
0: All right, we got a winner. Matt, hit that bell. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The winner and still champion of the
2: fight. Randy Character,
6: Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Just win, baby.
1: Well, Mark, you heard the—you uh, obviously heard the, the, the dulcet tones of our favorite buck, and that means that Randy did, in fact, four-jack that one. He beat you four to one on this one, Mark. Thank you so much for playing today.
3: All right, thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Mark. Yeah, I number no one. Michelle maybe put
1: this. Randy on. just playing one of them <laughs> after a four jack I'm, I'm,
3: heres I'm to the thinking. winner.
4: There
1: you go. You happy now? I'm much happier now. <laughs> let's go through the answers here for the fight. You already heard them because Randy got them all right, but just let's go through them really quickly here. The last season the Browns played in St. Louis before moving to Baltimore to become the Orioles. It was, in fact, 1953. On this day in 1970, Bobby Orr scored that famous OT winner with that even more famous photo. It was Noel Picard who got his stick in the uh, skate of Bobby Orr and sent him flying. And happy birthday to Edward Mujica. Uh, he led the Cardinals with 37 saves in the 2013 season before facing off against Boston in the World Series and the last Cardinal to win a gold glove at shortstop was Edgar Renteria he won back-to-back gold gloves in the 2002 and 2003 seasons.
0: A clean right. sweep for Randy. Nice work. Just,
1: thank you very much. Nicely done, Randy. Nicely done. Oh. oh yeah, somebody brings up Pete Cosma. Yeah. Why didn't I consider Pete Cosma? And, uh, and, and honestly, you forgot one of the people I put on the list, uh, Aledmus Diaz.
3: Oh, yeah. They, Who actually
1: was an all-star.
3: Yeah. He wasn't winning any gold gloves, I'll tell you that.
1: But I think you, I think you ran through the, the ringer that is the mm-hmm. Cardinal shortstop position there for for a while there. I forgot about Cesar as tourists. I, I, I would have forgot that one in a trivia question myself.
3: I've got some horrible opening day memories. I really do. Uh, Katie Wu is in for Michelle Smallman. That's Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. And coming up, obviously, there was a level of success by the Cubs and the Astros in tanking. The Orioles are tanking right now. Is it going to work? That's next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
6: Brought to you by Seiden Stricker Nobi John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com.
3: All right, I don't know if this is a fun fact that Katie Wu is aware of, but I will make it her aware of it if she isn't right now. Katie, since the 1909 season... Every single year the St. Louis Cardinals have played, they have had a Hall of Famer in uniform. Every single year. You look at this year's Baltimore Orioles, and I don't think anybody, maybe they'll bring up somebody that'll wind up being a Hall of Famer, but they certainly don't have any star power right now. And I can't imagine what it would be like here in St. Louis to not have star power, because Ever since I've been watching Cardinal baseball, when I was a kid, I mean, you had Brock and Gibson. You had Hall of Famers on the team. And then they go get Ozzy and Bruce Souter, And then after that, it's Mark McGuire. And you always had a Hall of Fame manager, whether it was Whitey or Red or Tony La Russa or Joe Torrey. And then the group from 2000 on, we've had an amazing run of star power. And I think that's one of the things you have to do is if you're going to have a sustainable franchise where people are going to come back and and pay money for tickets year after year after year. I am of the belief that you need to have a star for those people to attach themselves to.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that's what makes St. Louis so special is because they are an organization that really values their fans. I mean, you very rarely, if ever, see the Cardinals tanking. I mean, you... They're in the playoffs or at least competing for a playoff spot every season. It, it, what, it's what makes this town such a, a passionate baseball city. Um, and, and sadly, I mean, coming from someone who also grew up in the Bay Area, I saw both sides of that. I saw the Giants, who were not good for the majority of my childhood. had never won a, a World Series in San Francisco since my dad was alive. Um, I saw the A's that were really good when my dad was growing up, and then the two kind of just switched a little bit. Um, But in St. Louis, you just don't see tanking. And I think that is so good for the city and so good for the sport. And unfortunately, the sport doesn't feel the same way.
3: Do you believe at the end of the day that tanking works?
0: I do not. I think it is very rare, Randy, for an organization in in any sport to build from the ground up, especially baseball. I mean, just look at how long it takes for, for the draft. The MLB draft is not like the NBA draft or the NFL draft where you draft someone and you see them immediately in your organization. The minors take times. It takes time. The draft takes, you know, That's it's a different process for, for building it up. If you draft someone, Orioles, of course, of Rushman, top prospect in baseball, it's been a while before he even got to this point of, of maybe even seeing big league action. Um, I don't think tanking works. I, I think it's very rare that you'll see a farm system completely overhaul an organization without some sort of, of spending to get a a big name free agent or a big star player. Um, I think if you want to be competitive, you have to pay to be. And unfortunately, in cases like the Orioles, the Pirates and the Reds, uh, that hasn't been the case.
3: And to your point. If you look at the franchises that have won after tanking, the Cubs, they go out and they sign Lester and Lackey and Hayward and they go trade for Roldis Chapman and they make other moves to enhance themselves to get over the top. They, the, Tanking wasn't the reason they got over the top, it was because they made the necessary moves. Same thing with Houston. Houston goes out and... They sign Gurriel for big money out of Cuba. They go get Verlander. They go get Cole. When they won, they went and got Charlie Morton, uh, the, the Josh Reddick, Brian McCann. There, You can build somewhat of a foundation if you tank, but tanking isn't going to be the answer to winning. And the fact, as you said, that the Cardinals have never had to do it. The Cardinals have played five games where they've been out of playoff contention since the end of 2010. It's pretty remarkable. And I look at Baltimore now, and I wonder, Baltimore was good, as Mike Claymore mentioned. They were comparable to the Cardinals for a long time. I wonder if with that ownership group and with where they are right now, if they'll ever get back to being consistently competitive.
0: You know, I I hope so, because I think regardless of of who you're rooting for or where you're a fan of or, or what team you support... As fans, you deserve to have an organization that has your best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And I understand that is much, much easier said than done. Do I understand the need to tank every now and then or, or reset or re- resell, whatever, for the overall better quality of your product like we saw with the Astros were doing and um, what we saw with with the Cubs? I mean, the, o- eventually it paid off, of course. But you haven't seen that pay off for the Orioles. And it doesn't look like there's a window of opportunity anytime soon. The Rays were not a good organization, but they were patient and they were smart in how they redid and reset their organization, and now they're one of the most exciting teams in baseball. Um, It's just a matter of, of how you tank. I understand it's going to happen, although I'm against it personally. I understand it is the nature of the business, but there should be a way to do it where it's relegated so that you don't have multiple seasons of 100 wins. I mean, the Reds have won five games. It is May 10th. Yeah. Three of them came, like, within the last, what, four days? Four days, yeah. They're on so, a roll. Yeah, like I said, Randy, winning streak. Um, <laughs> it, it's just, there. I think baseball needs to do a better job of, of regulating overall how teams spend and, and what is permittable yeah. in, in terms of tanking.
3: That's the key, because a salary floor would force teams to be competitive. And when you look at, it, I, I can't imagine this as a fan. And I... I like competition and I, I love going to sporting events. In the last three full seasons, the Orioles have gone 47 and 115, 54 and 108, and 52 and 110. Those have been the last three full seasons that the Orioles have played. How can anybody go watch that?
0: That's hard to do. I, as a professional athlete, I mean, I know it is your job to show up and you get paid a considerable amount of money to do so. but every single person that's out on the field is a competitor how do you roll out there I mean my basketball team super super rare comparison uh, did not win a single game my senior year of high school I hated playing and basketball mm-hmm. was my favorite sport because there was just no chance you are going to win I can't imagine how magni- magnified that that intensity is when you're a professional athlete in the big leagues and you're winning 50 games a season
3: so are you looking around saying, is anybody going to help me here? Katie was like putting up 30, right? And nobody else is scoring for your basketball team?
0: Randy, would be lucky if you put up 30 in a game. All right. Okay. It was Look, it was a big character building season for me. So mm-hmm.
3: Good. And I want to go back to the A's because, I mean, the A's still have Frankie Montas, but they have Minaya, they have Bassett. They obviously had the two Mets. They were so much closer to winning than having to tear down. They have one of the richest owners in sports in John Fisher. And to me, that's that's like baseball malpractice. That's that's criminal activity when you tear a team down like that that needed oh, they did not need to spend a money a lot of money to get to be a World Series contender, I didn't think.
0: No, they didn't. And in response to that, they just let everybody walk because they've seen the success that they've had in doing it. They have had success mm-hmm. in their maddening, frustrating way of of building a, a baseball team, as in developing players. They make smart trades, and then they have the stars, and they let them walk. Um, and it's completely maddening for for A's fans. I know plenty back home in the Bay Area that are part of that boycott and not going to the Coliseum. Mm. You throw in the, you know, are the A's going to stay in Oakland? Or are they going to Vegas? You throw in their their front office being incredibly wild on Twitter. And it's just a really sad state for the organization because, you know, fans in in the East Bay from Oakland are really passionate. They already lost the Raiders. They already lost the Warriors across the Bay. And now it seems like the organization has given up on the fans in Oakland, and that's just really not fair to them.
3: Do you think they're going to wind up in Vegas?
0: I would like to say no because I'm a big believer in, in Oakland baseball, but I think the writing's on the wall here.
3: And as happy as we were when the Cardinals got McGuire, when the Cardinals got Mulder, when the Cardinals got Holiday... That's sad for a fan base that doesn't, well, the franchise really has no desire to keep those fan favorites around. I mean, those are three guys, and Mulder obviously had a truncated career here because of the injury, but two real Cardinal keys, two Cardinal Hall of Famers,
0: exactly, McGuire
3: and Holiday coming from the A's.
0: Yep, it's it's just a sad state of affair, um, especially when you see, especially over the last few seasons, how good the A's have been with all their roster Consider, uh, considerations with the uh, the low spending money with the ballpark. They were still one of the competitive, most competitive teams in their mm-hmm. division, and uh, that sadly is not the case anymore as they rebuild for the umpteenth time.
3: And this conversation started because the Orioles are in town tonight, and you'll have the opportunity to go and see a Cardinal win over the course of the next three days. Redbirds and Orioles tonight at the ballpark, and we're still doing the 645 starts, right? We are yeah, was, uh, until school's out. Then we'll go to set back to seven fifteen.
0: Thanks for now. Seven fifteen is only on Fridays. Okay, for now.
1: Yeah, got it. A weird um, afternoon game on Thursday, twelve fifteen.
4: Those oh
0: my gosh! Abolish twelve fifteen games. My day just got so much worse knowing that there's, really? like, there's I, you know, Randy, like you said, I'm a totally a morning person. 12, 15 games shouldn't exist. What about we,
1: 115
3: games? I can do that. Okay, that's next. That's Saturday. We I have a 10 30, right? Do we have one of those early
1: morning?
0: They games?
3: do in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yes, yeah. at 1030. Pittsburgh,
1: 10 30. Oh, my gosh, it's going to make. Oh, come on. No MLB. one's going to be happy about that one because yeah. that one's on Peacock, too. So uh, not peacock. only are the writers not going to be happy about being there, the fans are going to be livid. So have fun on your Twitter mentions that day.
4: Uh,
0: yeah, I will not be checking those. I won't even be awake, so.
1: <laughs> that's
3: Katie. I'm Randy. That's Matthew. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on um, 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
5: You're killing me, Smalls.
2: You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN.
3: Randy Carricker, we've been talking a lot about bullpens today. White Sox bullpen, not a great night last night against Josh Naylor of the Guardians. Naylor had an RBI double in the eighth, a game-time grand slam in the ninth, and then a three-run homer in the 11th. And he's the only player since RBIs became an official stat in 1920 to knock in at least eight runs from the eighth inning on. Josh Naylor with eight RBIs in the eighth, ninth, and tenth innings.
0: Just unreal, um, and I, I love baseball because in a 162-game season, you're going to see that kind of madness. I mean, we just saw the Mets pull a Mets, and you know, usually if you're going to give up a seven-run lead, you are the Mets. You aren't the, yeah, you aren't right. the team that's winning, right? Um, so yeah, I was able to see that right before my flight took off from San Francisco to kind of see the highlights there, and what a what a great sign for these uh, Cleveland Guardians, but TLR, man. can't Yikes. Probably not that happy about it.
3: No, they're a beat-up team, and the White Sox predicted by most to win the Central, but they've lost all their guys, and it's really been tough for Tony to get through, and with as well as Minnesota has played, and Terry Francona always has his team play well, I think it's going to be a real uphill battle for the White Sox.
0: I think so, too. I mean, injuries have really decimated them early on, and I mean, that, that does really play into the overall product, of course, but they also haven't been playing very good baseball, so... So, I don't know, uh, maybe the AL Central we were talking about, not a very competitive division. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. We'll see. Yeah,
3: competitive in a, a different way. In a different way. Katie, how about those uh, Cincinnati Reds? We talked about them earlier. They've won three games in three days, and now, don't look, but they're on a charge here. They are 6-23. and 23. They were on pace to go 20-142. and 142. Mm-hmm. So now they're on pace to win at least 30 games. That's nice. And the Cardinals only have a nine-and-a-half game lead over them.
0: Oh my gosh, here here come the Reds. Yeah. Joey Votto, surging back.
3: We talked about going out to watch the Orioles. It's got to be even worse than the Reds because you got trolled by your team president, right? If you're a Reds fan, and we talked about the boycott in, in Oakland too, In if you're a Reds fan, it's even worse because they're taunting you.
0: Oh, absolutely. And uh, look... I went to Great American Ballpark uh, in mid-April for that weekend series, Mm -hmm. and I was impressed by how many fans still showed up. Um, But you could tell that they weren't there for ownership. And I wonder how that works as a fan when you want to go support the team and the players, but you do not want to support the ownership. And it turns out Reds fans will just wear bags over their head, Mm -hmm. or they'll just write, sell the team and and pose with Jonathan India outside the stadium and, and get their message out their own way. So there's that.
3: Uh, we talked about this earlier with Mike Claiborne, but Tom Brady will, after he retires, join Fox Sports as their lead NFL analyst. Only when he retires, and he didn't say when he's going to retire, but are, are you fired up about Tom Brady joining Fox? Are you going to tune in when Tom Brady is an analyst on Fox broadcasts?
0: Well, is Tom Brady ever going to retire? Cause, Maybe cause not. He, he did, and then he didn't. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I really enjoy... There's, there's just... A different kind of insight that you can get from one of the greatest. I mean, look how Tony Romo he excels as an analyst, right? So mm-hmm. I'll, of course I'll I'll tune in and I'll I'll give him a shot. I mean I I will admit that I do watch his TikToks, so yes okay. I will probably tune into the broadcast.
3: I just wonder if if there's a good CBS game and a good Fox game, if the tiebreaker is going to be Tom Brady.
4: Mm, good, like
3: if you have point. Romo against if you have Romo against Brady in an early window, okay, you've got like the, let's say you have Chiefs Chargers early on with Nance and Romo. I guess you probably wouldn't have the two head to head, but I I just wonder if Tom Brady will serve to provide them enough viewers so that he's worth the money they're paying him.
0: No, that's that's a good point. But what's going to, I think, dictate his success is if he's good on TV, right? I mean, look, Adam Wainwright is probably a better media member than I am. He is uh, fantastic <laughs> at the, at Twitter and at calling games and, and mm-hmm. being an analyst. And even Cubs fans will will give him his credit there. So I think what what really me what would really dictate his success, as in Brady, is just if he's good at it.
3: Katie, we talked about this uh, at the beginning of the show. Quite a day for Mike Brown. The interim for the night, head coach of the Golden State Warriors. So he basically was the head coach of two teams yesterday.
0: Yeah, amazing. Uh, and, you know, it's funny to just kind of say, hey, by the way, you know, you're, you've been, I mean, Mike Brown's done a great job with the Warriors under Steve Kerr. Um, Sacramento would probably really benefit from him. Uh, just just seeing where the state of that franchise is, mm-hmm. you guys want to talk about tanking. Um, but hey, by the way, so congrats on the new head coach job. Also, can you coach the Warriors tonight? Did a good job, right? I yeah, he Got the win.
3: Put the ball in the hands of Steph Curry, and uh, you got things going. Exactly. He is unbelievable. By the way, it, he's my favorite player to watch in the NBA. But he's one of those guys where if they're ever in trouble, and they've got a lot of good players, obviously. But if, if you're, a, if I'm Steve Kerr and Mike Brown, I say, okay, things are getting out of control. Things are not going your way. Just throw the ball to number thirty, mm-hmm. and number thirty will take care of it. He's going to be fine. That's how good Steph Curry is. Is that among all of these great NBA players, he's a guy, the one guy on the floor that can settle things down.
0: Oh, he's, and he's literally changed the game. He's changed mm-hmm. how offense works. He's changed how the three-point shot is valued. He, and he's just been an absolute joy to watch. Um, and I say that with as little bias as possible. But I'd like to think that even if I didn't grow up in the Bay Area, I would appreciate Steph Curry just as much as I do currently.
3: And what are you? Are, are you watching much? Are, because you obviously, obviously watch the Splash Brothers at their peak. Week. And I'm happy that Clay Thompson is back, but I'm sad that he's not what he was.
0: Like, yes. Uh, it's like, obviously, Clay is having Clay is better than no Clay, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to when he fully finds his groove again. um Just basketball just wasn't the same without him i think the nba really missed out on a true character um i mean he takes his dog out he he takes the (laughs) boat his own boat to practice he's just great with the fans i mean we saw him remember a couple years ago when he went to china and then china clay became a thing and how he interacted with fans there he's just a great ambassador for the game and when those two and in the splash brothers were locked in some of the best basketball you'd ever see
3: yeah it was fantastic and then finally we still don't know what's going to happen with adam wainwright we I kind of presume that he's going to pitch tonight because that's just the way Adam go, right? That's right. That, that's how it seems to work with him. But if we don't have Wainwright, the logical choice is to just plug in Miles Michaelis because he had the off day yesterday and he's working on four days rest. And if you have Michaelis going in game one of a series, you'll take that.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I think the, the issue isn't necessarily who's the starter today. Although, of course, I know every Cardinals fan wants the, the best for Adam Wainwright. Um, the, the issue is what happens if Adam doesn't clear by Wednesday? Then what? Do you have a bullpen game? do you start Jordan Hicks I, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea to have a bullpen game if you're going to slot that in on Wednesday and then have Jordan Hicks who isn't very lengthy on Thursday mm-hmm. you're relying on a lot of arms and I, I can't remember. I don't even know when the next Cardinals off day is which is bad news for me yeah. means that it's going to be a while um, so I think that's where the real trouble comes in is you know they can probably get by Tuesday today without Adam but they're Gonna really want him back on Wednesday just to alleviate the stress of the arms.
3: And probably Woodford, who gave you what three right mm-hmm. on Sunday, he's probably maybe
0: he could. I mean, he could probably spot. He could start, start a
3: bullpen start for you and give you a couple of innings.
0: He's done it before.
3: Yeah. So, okay, we got figure it figured out. I know Ollie's listening. So, if, <laughs> right. you, if you don't have Wayno tomorrow, uh, Katie and I have you all under control. Don't worry, Ollie, we got you. Yeah, no problem at all. Hey, don't forget that the Chris Duncan Dunk CD16 t-shirts are still available for a limited time from 101 ESPN. Now through next Friday, May 20th, you can order this year's CD16 t-shirt in honor of our late great friend Chris Duncan. Proceeds from all sales. Go to support the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. Check out that limited edition Baby Blue Dunk jersey and order yours now at 101espn.com. Coming up, former Blues backup goalie and now... uh, TSN analyst Jamie McLennan talking some blues and wild next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Great to have you with us. It's Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, and we go to the Broad and Crouppen celebrity line. Former Blues goalie Jamie McLennan, now a TSN hockey analyst, also does radio in Toronto at TSN 1050. He does afternoon drive, and it's always great to have him with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Jamie, it's Randy Carricker. Good morning. How are you doing?
6: Not too bad. How are you doing today?
3: Everything's very well. And first of all, I want to take a, a broad look at these playoffs. The only really non-competitive series was the Colorado sweep of uh, of Nashville. Uh, what have you thought of the competitiveness of the other seven series?
6: I think it's been fantastic. We always say that the the first round of the playoffs is usually the most entertaining because, you know, you look at uh, there's, there's not a lot of... Uh, separation between a lot of teams especially you know if you've finished second and third in your division if you take a look at just how the league standings uh you know fell this year there were 13 teams with over 100 points and the LA Kings had 99 so it's pretty impressive that we'll call it 14 teams that had 100 points or more those are great seasons so the expectation level is through the roof for Not only those organizations, but the fan base, they're thinking, okay, maybe it's our turn this year. And, you know, I live in Toronto. Toronto had a fantastic season, but they're up against the cup champs. Uh, You know, Minnesota is a fantastic team, had a, you know, uh, arguably their greatest season in franchise history, but they're up against a very tough, you know, team in St. Louis that uh, has won before, has a lot of pedigree, and has star players. So, you know, you look right through the The whole league, there's some great rounds. And you're right. uh, Unfortunately, Nashville, uh, they're a very good team. But when you're starting goaltender, and I would argue that UC Saros is probably going to be second in Vesna voting. When your Vesna goaltender goes down, what, two games before the playoffs? Mm -hmm. You have no chance. And and it's unfortunate. But uh, it certainly has been great hockey. And I think you've got six... uh, six series that are tied at two. So that's pretty impressive.
3: And JB, before we get to the blues in the wild, I want to ask about the one that you have eyes on every night with Toronto and Tampa, because even though it's a competitive series at two, two, the games have kind of been non-competitive. What's
6: going on with that one? It's almost like whoever is, has, has it going on that night, they win the game and they win it handily. So game three Ended up, I believe, five two, but that was two empty netters. So that game was probably the closest, uh, as far as you know, on paper and how it looked and how it felt. Even mm-hmm. though Toronto got up to a three nothing lead in that game, and then Tampa pushed back. So, um, you know, that's the interesting part. I would argue that tonight's game, uh, you know, Game Five here in Toronto, is going to be a competitive one, and you might see, you know, coin flip win by either team. So, uh, but you're right. Uh, we're seeing so many blowouts in the playoffs right now. It's, it's been really weird. It's almost like, and I was joking yesterday respectfully, it's almost like you see in basketball. When one team gets up and, and it's like it's over, they win by a, a big margin instead of a very close one. So uh, we've seen that a lot in the first first round of the NHL playoffs, but it'll be interesting to see how things unfold here in Toronto tonight.
3: Jamie McLennan was in town for the Chris Pronger retirement ceremony, number retirement ceremony. And we talked then about Jordan Binnington and the struggles that he was dealing with. And you expressed confidence to me then in Binnington. What did you think of Craig Berube putting him back in between the pipes for game four?
6: I thought it was the right move. You know, UC Saros is, or sorry, Billy Huso, UC Saros, I apologize. Billy Huso's had a fantastic season. And he deserved to start those games. Jordan, you know, had an inconsistent season. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have the pedigree. Doesn't mean he's not a good goaltender. It's just the, you know, uh, the other guy was playing very well. And you give him an opportunity. And when you look at, uh, you know, Bennington, I I thought, I'll be honest, he's not a nervous guy, but I thought he looked a little bit nervous in the game a little bit. There were a couple saves where he was kind of checking over his shoulder. Okay, did I make that save cleanly? But he got stronger as the game went on, and obviously uh, he gets the win. I was very happy for him because I think what happens is it reestablishes it like, uh, even for individually for the player. Oh, yeah, I know how to play goal. Oh, I've been here before. He's got the experience, the pedigree, as I talked about. And then the team will build confidence around him. So uh, I liked that first game for him. I think it was a smart move by the coaching staff to give uh, a different look to Minnesota as well. That's something that uh, people don't factor in enough is you're not doing it not only for your your own team, but when there's pre-scouts involved and all of a sudden St. Louis has seen the same goaltender three times in a row, they start to pick apart maybe some of the warts in their game. So a different look, different feel and net and it paid off for the Blues, and they got right back in the series. Jamie
3: McLennan with us on 101 ESPN, and Jamie, one of the things that was strange about the other day is that Steven Santini hadn't played with the Blues at all. Perunovic barely played. Callie Rosen was up. Uh, Mikola is a rookie. He played about half the games, but especially for a goalie that hasn't played a ton in the second half, what's it like to play with a bunch of defensemen that you really have not spent time in games with?
6: It's tough, but I'll say this. You worry about your own job, and you know, there might be a few mix-ups here and there as far as communication, but a lot of times they're set plays going back. And what I mean by that is, you know, defenders going back, is if you're a goaltender, you go out and stop the puck, there's pretty much three decisions you have to make with it. And that's hard forward around the boards, uh, maybe a direct pass to to somebody coming back so they can fan out and, and, and make a play to exit the zone, or a reverse play uh, to to your backhand and and the D can fan out to that corner. And and the other one I guess you can add in is just leave it and get out of the way so that they <laughs> can skate out. But those are simple plays and I think a lot of it comes down to communication and guys know how to play. It's just it it's uh, the chemistry that develops over time and maybe it's not there early on but ultimately especially in the playoffs the details are so sharp by everyone uh, they're not going to be out there trying new things to, hey, let's try this. It worked for me in college. Um, you know, you've got to be smart. Uh, you've got to be respectful of, of the opponent, especially the Minnesota with how heavy they are in the floor checks. So, um, you know, certainly not having the chemistry with the D, maybe there's one or two plays that you would notice, but for the most part it's all about just settling in and worrying about your own game.
3: And if we zero in here. You, you, you talked big picture about, hey, let's try this because it worked in college. But if you're the Blues, <laughs> can you do the same thing? Can you say, okay, well, this worked in game five, four. Obviously, if you find your game, you can make it work in game five. But is there anything the blue, that the Blues need to do differently in game five to come away with a victory in Minnesota tonight?
6: No, it's just, you know, it's it's almost like and I say this in the playoffs all the time. It's a race to establish your game. So Minnesota is going to have adjustments as well. So that's the biggest challenge is, okay, who's going to get to their game the fastest? And if, they get, so if Minnesota gets to their game quicker tonight than St. Louis, how is St. Louis going to adjust to that? How are you going to limit the time and space of Kaprizov and get underneath the skin and Fiala? Um, and and the, the thing I'm noticing, and I'm not sure how you feel about it, but, and this is just a blanket statement, I've been disappointed in the reffing overall. Now, it's not their fault. There's, there's been so, so much noise about, well, we want it consistent with the regular season. And, and you know, it's, it's, it seems in past years the refs have put away the whistle and, and, and allowed the grunts to take over the game. And, and to me, it's, it's uh, careful what you wish for because there's been in so many series, I think, marginal calls, and the refs are instructed to call them. Mm-hmm. To me, I think playoff ho- hockey should be hard fought. You should dig in. And and a penalty should be one that's deserving, not marginal like, oh, I touched his hands there or you know, the guy fell down, so we gotta you know, it, it optically it looked bad. Like it, to me it's it's every penalty should be taking away a, a scoring chance or an egregious play. And that's the league that has said, Hey, you know what? We're going to uh we're gonna call it by the rule book. That's what everyone's been asking for. And I just I think it takes away from the flow of the game. So getting back to your question about, you know, can you bottle up what you did in game four and, and apply it in game five? Yes. Some of the positive things, but it's about adjustments on the fly. And especially if you're on the road or at home, those it's a lot different just based on last change matchups. Uh, I think that's the type of stuff that Craig Berube will, you know, be rein, reinforcing with his group is just the details of the game kind of the game within the game and, and making sure that you manage it well.
3: And Jamie, to your point, down the stretch about the last quarter of the season, the Blues were one of the least penalized teams in the league, yet the two teams committed 32 penalties in the first two games in Minnesota. And there were, uh, there were some calls that uh, you, you could have easily called embellishment if, if you wanted to, but I'm with you. Yeah, I say nonsense. let the boys, it's crazy, isn't it?
6: Yeah, I just, I agree. I, I'm Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no you problem. Let the boys play and let them sort it out. Absolutely. Like, this is playoff hockey. Every inch of ice should be contested. Players that aren't physical should be physical. Like, that's one thing in the playoffs is you ask players to play their game and a little bit more of maybe something that isn't as comfortable. And that's finishing your check. That's uh, taking a hit to make a play. You know, all the cliches that we can come up with. That's what playoff hockey is. And and to me, these ticky-tacky calls where, yeah, 50-50 could have been a penalty. Yeah, for sure, in the regular season, that was a penalty. I get it. I understand this. I'm not taking a shot at the league. And I think the officials do a good job because what they do is they're an extension of what the league wants. So if the mandate is, hey, this is what we want, the start of the playoffs, the players have to adjust. And I don't think they've adjusted fast enough. But that's the biggest challenge. You mentioned 32 penalties in the first couple games. That takes the flow. A guy like Kairou, who's a, a really skilled player, he needs to feel the game. He needs ice time. He needs to, to be out there to be creative. And if you've got a bunch of penalty kills or power plays or things that, that really aren't five-on-five play, I, I think it messes with the flow and it messes with the mojo of the top players that you want on the ice to be difference makers.
3: Okay, you're on the air in St. Louis, but we want, we're, we're going to put truth serum in Jamie McLennan. Who do you think comes away with a victory tonight?
6: I think oof, it's tough because, you know, I played for both organizations. I, <laughs> I played for many, too, and I do have allegiance for them, even though I I had one of, uh, I was only there for one year, and I was, uh, if you look up my record, it's, it's not something to write home for. <laughs> but, uh, but I will say, here's why I would say St. Louis. I'm, I'm laying it on the goaltender. I, I thought, like I said at the start of the conversation, I thought Bennington, uh, he's, his confidence is just starting to get going. Because I, I thought there were a couple moments in last game where he was checking over his shoulder and, and like, did I make that save, where's the puck type of thing? I think confidence grows as he settled in, he's got to win, he's feeling good about his game, and you certainly need it tonight. So I'm going with the Blues, and, and uh, we'll see how it unfolds. And he's not even an unsung hero, a guy who just performs every night. David Perron, all that guy does is, is produce. It's impressive because – I think is this his fourth tour of duty with the with the third, Blues?
3: Third, third. He's only signed okay. contracts with the Blues. <laughs>
8: Isn't career. that
6: unbelievable? It's like he, he just keeps coming back, and it's almost like he gets better every time he keeps coming back. So uh, he's a guy that I circle. I know that I'm a huge Ryan O'Reilly fan, and I, I think he's a superstar, and Tarasenko and Kyrou. But I, I think Perron is a guy who who really is a playoff performer. And I look for a big game out of him tonight.
3: Jamie, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. Continued success in Toronto. And we'll be keeping an eye and an ear on what you do. And we'll talk again, hopefully, as these playoffs unfold for the Blues.
6: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
3: All right. Take care. That's our old friend Jamie McLennan joining us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues and Minnesota tonight in St. Paul. And their play-by-play man, Anthony LaPanta, will join us next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101
3: ESPN. Game five between the Wild and the Blues tonight at the XL Energy Center. And we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Anthony LaPonta, the TV voice of the Minnesota Wild, joins us here on 101 ESPN. Anthony, this is Randy Carriker. How are you doing this morning?
8: I'm great, but if this is the celebrity line, I think I'm on the wrong line. I must dial the wrong
3: number. <laughs> no, it's uh, well, once we get to playoffs, every play-by-play guy is a celebrity. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's good. I finally made it. <laughs> hey, uh, what did you think yesterday? I want to start with this because uh, that, that grief line has been such a hassle for the Blues. And then Baruby puts Shen on left wing with uh, the O'Reilly and Perron. What did you think of that matchup?
8: It went well for St. Louis, and it's one of the first times in really this entire season where I felt the grief line was off and somewhat neutralized. I think the only other team that had matched up well with them was Carolina when they used the Jordan Stahl, Nino Niederreiter, and Jesper Faust line against them and matched them with some of the physical play and just puck possession play. I thought that line for St. Louis was great against those guys. and Those guys have been together since mid-November, and had only been on the ice for five goals against the rest of the season, over 400 minutes played. Wow. And they were on the ice for two the other day, and one of them was the empty netter, but still they were on the ice, and it just doesn't happen. I thought that was a – I thought Craig Berube had to push all his chips in the middle for game four. They absolutely had to win that game he juggled his lines he changed his goaltender and, and I think you got to give him credit because he didn't just stand pat with what he had and what had been working well down the stretch he recognized the matchup that he needed to adjust he adjusted it and got the better of
3: it and obviously Dean Davison tonight will do everything he can with the last change to make sure that his line isn't on the line on the ice against those guys tonight
8: yeah, he will, for sure. I don't think he'll do much with changing his lineup. This has basically been the lineup for Minnesota probably since mid-January when when healthy. This has been their lineup, and, and I think their lines just make sense the way they are. I don't really see much other than maybe a winger on the fourth line could be changed, but the top nine are going to be the top nine, and they're going to be in these combinations. The difference is, to your point, he's got last change, so... I think it'll be interesting to see if Barubi changes his lines tonight because he was able to go with Shen with those two guys because he knew every single shift he could get the matchup he wanted. Tonight he won't be able to do that. So we'll have to see if – because if he throws those three guys together and then the grief line's playing against Thomas and Kairou or whoever Dean chooses to match him with, it might not be the best matchup then to have the, the slower of foot, Shen, Peran and – and uh, O'Reilly line would now be having to to go up against either Goudreau's line or Hartman's line for Minnesota. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Berube change his lines a little bit, even though he's coming off a win just knowing that he's not going to be able to get the matchups that he wants.
1: Anthony, in
3: terms of where there is room to get better for the Wild in this series, we sit here in St. Louis, and especially because of the defensive injuries, we say, okay, there's room for the Blues to get better in certain areas. Where can the Wild get better, and what do they need to do better to win the series?
8: Well, I think they have to cash in on the power play. The power play has not been very good at all. and In fact, in Game 4, even though St. Louis, I thought, had a great start, was the better team for the first 30 minutes of that game by a wide margin, Minnesota was still in a spot with a power play in the third period that could have tied the game. And they just haven't been able to cash in. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure why they've had so much trouble, but the, the, because there's a lot of skill on their power play, but it's it isn't just in this series. It's been most of the season. They've just been an average power play. And it looks like the talent should be there to be better than it's been. and and it just hasn't. And other than that, I mean, I think the Wilds five on five play has been really good. I think their penalty kill after game one has been good enough to win. Game one, the lose had two power play goals and essentially a third because they scored another one just as a power play expired. And since then, they've done a good job with that. I think the goaltending's been good enough. The defense has been good enough. They just haven't been able to cash in when they've had the extra man.
3: A couple more things for the TV play-by-play man for the Minnesota Wild, Anthony LaPonta. First of all, we've seen a guy like Barbashev, really come of age this year here in St. Louis. And it seems like the same thing has happened for Erickson Eck. And we read and heard so much about him when the Wild signed him and brought him up. And now at the age of 25, he's really turned into a good player, hasn't
8: he? He's a great all-around player and was a player that did take a couple of extra years to develop. And part of that is the type of player he is. He wasn't going to be a 30-goal scorer. He was a first-round draft pick. So everybody was looking at him and comparing him to the guys that were drafted around him. And one of the big comparisons that's always been made around Minnesota is that Brock Besser was still available when Erickson Eck was drafted, and Besser was a Minnesota kid. And so as Besser scoring 25, 30 goals a season early in his career, and Erickson Eck scoring 10, there was a lot of barking about, wow, they could have had Brock Besser. But the reality is, the player that Joel erickson ek is he's going to be a tremendous player even if he only scores 12 or 15 goals and now he's added the ability to score and and it really has made him into one of the elite players i think it says a lot when you look at when bill garen came in here and took a little bit of time to evaluate before he started to make some changes and the players that he immediately tabbed as the guys that needed to be a big part of this future were Jonas Brodin, Jared Spurgeon, and Jules Tanev, and those were the three to whom he gave huge extensions right away, because he knew you got to have these guys in order to build around them. He's just a—he brings effort every night, plays the game the right way, never changes the way he plays. Big, strong, physical, and he's shown the ability to score. He's not an elite passer. That might come, and he still isn't as good on faceoffs as you would think a guy that looks like him would be but he brings everything else, and I think he's going to be a handful
3: for opponents for the
8: next seven years.
3: Yeah, and he's a, he's just a terrific playoff-type player. He's he's built for the playoffs. Final thing, Anthony, do you think it's a given that we see Marc-Andre Fleury between the pipes? Is there a chance that Talbot starts for Minnesota?
8: No, no chance. It'll be Marc-Andre Fleury, and it'll be Fleury unless Fleury plays his way out of the crease. I, I think it would have to be a – it would probably have to be a one-sided loss tonight before you, you'd see a change there. And it's interesting because coming into the series, I don't think, I, I felt like Cam Talbot had played well enough down the stretch to warrant certainly consideration there. And But I think Dean just looked at it and said, look, on this side, I've got a Hall of Famer who's won three cups. I'd be a fool to not start the series with him. And unless unless Mark Andre plays his way out of the net, I think – He's the guy you'll see the rest of the way for Minnesota.
3: Anthony LaPonta, the TV voice of the Minnesota Wild. Great info. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll see you back here in St. Louis on Thursday. Sounds good. Anytime. Thank you, sir. That is Anthony Laponta. He is the TV voice of the Minnesota Wild and by the way, if you're going to be heading to the game on Thursday, 101 ESPN will be there live, BKM Ferrario from 11 to 2, The Fast Lane from 2 to 6 from Enterprise Center as we gear up for Game 6 that night. If you've got tickets and you're headed to Enterprise Center for Game 6, make sure to get there early to, to enjoy the Bud Light Happy Hour pregame game party in the Anheuser-Busch Beer Garden beginning 2 hours prior to puck drop. Enjoy live music Food and drink specials And stop by the 101 ESPN table To get registered to win a signed Blues jersey Thursday night, Game 6 As the Blues get ready to clinch against the Wild And you'll hear it here on 101 ESPN We're going to head down the stretch Toward a little balloon party With Mac and Ajax A little bit more with Katie Wu On 101 ESPN
2: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers On 101 ESPN One, two, three, four!
3: Michelle Swallman will return tomorrow. It has been a pleasure having Katie Wu in here, in the studio. And uh, first of all, great job as a broadcaster. You make it easy. And uh, second of all, you do... And I mentioned this right after opening day, because it kind of stunned me when we were... Michelle and I were standing in the clubhouse, and you walked in, and said this is the first time i've ever been in here and i want to compliment you on that incredible thing is the the way you covered the cardinals without having access to the players within the clubhouse for a year is really incredible you should be very proud of that
0: Well, thank you randy i, I appreciate that but i think a, a big testament goes to to the players and coaches themselves who would carve out time during their pregame routines to talk would carve out time on the off on the road trips to go grab mm-hmm. a coffee um you know it's a two-way street so well i appreciate the sentiment very much again thank you i think a lot of credit goes to those guys for understanding the importance of of media and having healthy relationships and communicating and, and making it a priority on their end to do so as well
3: and we when you're covering a team every day, it's not like we root for or against a team, but it is more fun to cover a team that is successful. And one thing that when you walk through the doors at the Athletic to cover the Cardinals, everybody nationally knows that the Cardinals are a playoff team. And I think we, as fans here that have been around the team forever, kind of just take for granted that it's going to be a playoff team. You said earlier in the show, this is a playoff team. Is there any doubt in your mind?
0: No. No. Then uh, no, I mean I did not think they were a playoff team last year, and I learned my lesson, mm-hmm. right? I was I had a vacation booked for middle of October and everything, and I <laughs> rescheduled that. That's some life advice. Always get the refundable option when you're planning a vacation. Yeah. Um, but no, I think especially with expanded playoffs, and we talked about the um, the lack of competition in the division, Um, and and the fact that I think the Cardinals are actually a very good baseball team. There are a couple of of pieces that need to click still. Obviously, you want to see better production from Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. Mm -hmm. You want a healthy Jack Flaherty. Um, You want a a more productive offensive Paul DeYoung. But they have all the pieces, and I think there may be one or two trade deadline moves away from being a legitimate threat if they can all stay healthy.
3: Put you on the spot here. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your confidence level in DeYoung getting to 250 with an OPS of 720.
0: I'm more confident in 240 with a 720 OPS and 20 homers. Okay, I think you can take that, right? I, Definitely. I mean, that if he, if he can give you 20 homers, he's never really been a player that hits for average. You'll you'll obviously take that. I would say. That's a boring answer, but I'm 50-50, Randy.
3: Okay. No, that's completely reasonable. Because I wouldn't be surprised either if he succeeded, but I also won't be surprised if we've seen the best that he has to give. You... (coughs) Excuse me. Let me cough there. You have... (laughs) You, You got... She's got me choked up, kids. Uh, you've got a piece coming out on Tommy Edmond. You're working on that right now?
0: Yes, I am. I just, you know, when you think about what Tommy Edmond's done over the, the first month of the season, I thought it was pretty interesting in talking to the infielders and Paul DeYoung and Nolan Aranato. They both said it unprompted without knowing the other said it. They define Tommy Edmond as the perfect Cardinal, just in the way that he plays the game, what he values as in base running and defense, the strides he's made offensively, and they just all really enjoy playing behind him or, and with him. Um, so excited to kind of dive into more on, on Tommy Edmond that's one thing I really like about what I can do at The Athletic is you can dive into specific players and kind of tell their stories I mean there's a lot that goes into to beat writing but something I try to make a, a emphasis is allowing fans to kind of see who the players are as, as people and, and dive in deep to that and, and just what I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know how how much this organiza- or this this fan base cares about this organization and the players that make up it. So I try to at least allow them to see who they are as people, yeah. too.
3: You do a great job. And Edmund, specifically, is a guy that, as a fan base, we kind of pigeonholed. We said, oh, he can't hit right-handed. and you know,
0: Oh, he's uh, not Colton Long. Right, right, exactly.
3: But he's a guy that, at the major league level, has continued to get better and better and better in many facets of the game.
0: Absolutely. Now I think he's uh, a centerpiece in the Cardinals uh, starting lineup, both offensively and defensively. And, and you know, for all the everyone that said he couldn't hit leadoff last year, it's the last person they wanted to see. I don't know, maybe he took it personally because he's been a tremendous leadoff hitter for this team so far.
3: And then you mentioned O'Neal and Carlson, too. And again, I, I'm convinced that Dylan Carlson is going to be a really, really good player. I
0: am, too.
3: 100%. I, I don't know that... Tyler O'Neal is going to be what we saw in the last two months last year, but I think Tyler O'Neal at the end of the day is probably going to be a guy that hits 25 to 30 home runs. He's probably going to get you a bunch of doubles. He's Is he going to be a huge OPS? Is he, is he going to be a 900 OPS guy? I don't think so, but I think that he'll give you enough to win if Carlson is what you and I think he can become.
0: Absolutely. And I think this is a huge moment or a huge season for the the outfield here. I mean, the Cardinals are, are very proud of their homegrown outfield. They have a lot of expectations for them. It took them a while to get to this point, a couple of trades, mm-hmm. a couple of setbacks. Um but I think if you have Harrison Bader, who I think is, you know, maturing more and becoming more of a leader, I think, and trusting in himself. I mean, it's hard to find you would be hard pressed to find a center fielder that commands the outfield as he does. Um but when you're looking at Dylan Carlson, whose ceiling is so high, and this is the first time we've seen him really struggle in his professional career. And then you look at Tyler O'Neill, whose defense, again, is stellar, and he's speedy when he gets on base. But he's also, I don't want to say he profiles as a two true outcome hitter, because I don't think that's fair. I think he's made strides over the last two seasons mm. to not be that. But I think there is a lot of swing and miss still. But you balance that out with power and good defense like you said randy if harrison and and dylan can be more consistent you take that from tyler o'neill any day
3: that's the thing is you're building a unit sure you'd love to have all-stars at every position but that's unrealistic especially in this day and age with the mets and dodgers pretty much collecting all-stars yes right so if you're the cardinals and you can build a unit that can win uh, you got a pretty good thing going all right the big thing tonight we'll keep an eye on and we'll follow you on twitter at katie woo is is adam wainwright going to start for the cardinals i predict he mystery. Is.
0: all right i i think that the cardinals are in good hands whether it's wainwright or michaelis uh, but we'll hopefully keep you all posted as soon as i know um, and we'll make sure to have my phone on as i'm sure the text will come in the middle of my power nap
3: <laughs> yeah right no doubt about <laughs> it and danny mack mentioned yesterday that the last time the orioles were in town was in the old ballpark 2003 yes. was the last time they were here they
0: have never been the orioles have never been to new bush stadium which is weird that it is we are referring to it as new bush stadium as it is mm-hmm. what 16 years old yeah right so they are the last team in baseball to visit the stadium
3: okay the old st louis browns yes. finally make it back to st louis
0: oh, happy endings all around
3: absolutely katie great work thank you very much
0: Randy, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to join you guys anytime, but I know that y'all miss Michelle, and she does a great job. So happy for her to be back tomorrow.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. That's uh, Katie Wu. You can read her work at, at The Athletic. And by the way, if people have not subscribed to The Athletic, I don't know what you're thinking. But the Athletic subscription is invaluable for any fan. And I know you use it as a resource, even though even though you're a writer for it.
0: Oh, 100%. So much of what I learned, even before I took this job, came from The Athletic. Um, and what I love about it is just, it's it's all sports, right? It's not just baseball-centric. Mm-hmm. It's not just Cardinal-centric. You can get anything you want. We even have we have things I don't even know that we had, and I work there. Every time I go on the, the website, I'm like, we are writing about this? I had no idea. So, again, I'm biased. I do work there. But I... I've always thought it was worth the subscription. Um, If it's not for me, do it for our wonderful blues writer, J.R. Rutherford. He's awesome.
3: Yeah, absolutely. A great job today by our producer-engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio, who, by the way, got out yesterday and chipped in from how far? 20 yards. There you go. Nice.
1: My first ever ever chip in, and it felt unbelievable, Randy. And obviously, a big a big assist to uh, Randy Carrick on, on the bag.
3: I, I get a text from Matthew Rocchio that he chipped in from thirty, and uh, he says, "I feel alive.
0: <laughs> That's what chip-ins do. I mean, I get it.
1: Uh, yeah and I'm, and, I'm, and i'm I'm gonna go play the uh, I'm gonna go play again today. <laughs> Good I already I already got it planned out.
3: Love it. See the the bug. The bug's has bitten, real. Oh, Matthew. it's real. So well, we we have to get the whole group together here and, and go hit them. Uh, Michelle will be back tomorrow, and we thank Katie for sitting in for her. For everybody involved with the show, thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of it. T Mac and Ajax coming up with the balloon party next, and until tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast
2: presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
5: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama.